You're listening to Karen Disapproves. I'm your host, Chelsea Coons. I just got done talking to Griffin Furlong. Holy smokes. His story is so amazing and inspiring. He went from being homeless to graduating valedictorian to graduating magna cum laude. We talk about his mom passing in and out of homeless shelters um, hiding the fact that he was homeless and oh his story is just broke my heart and then mended it all back together because he has the best outlook on life that anybody could ever have enjoy Griffin Furlong Kevin disapproves I got crazy but magna cum laude that's yeah. impressive yeah you, okay yeah. can I ask you something how do you pronounce that I Googled it because I, like when I went to go to it, like a little promo to get like, you know, some questions from the audience. And I was like, do you say it magna cum laude, magna cum laude, magna cum laude. laude. I've heard laude. That's just what I've heard. So I'm like following the sheep there. So yeah. Yeah. Not to be confused with latte, not magna cum latte. That would be for sure wrong, right? I'd rather have that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you're gonna have, have one of those <laughs> so okay so I gotta admit I I found your story on love what matters mm-hmm. and I like absolutely loved it because I love that there is like this journey in your story and it's definitely not an easy journey that you went on um and it's, I think, a journey that, like, most people just, they probably, there's probably so many misconceptions of, like, homelessness, and there's probably people among them who are homeless that they have no idea. Yeah. Um, and then I was, like, writing out questions for you, and I got to admit, I got a little choked up. So if I end up getting emotional while I'm talking to you, I feel like I have a five-year-old, and I was, like, kind of putting kind of reversing it a little bit of like what you went through, you lost your mom when you were six. Mm-hmm. And I think like that just, anyway, it got me emotional. So um, I want to kind of start out with um, talking about just like the beginning for you. Okay. Yes. The beginning. So I would say it, it's funny that I still remember things from like four years old. Like I still kind of remember preschool uh, somehow, but um everything was pretty normal between four to six years old. Like that time frame, that's all the time that I actually had with her. And I would say our life was normal. It was, we lived in a nice neighborhood. I wouldn't say it was fancy, but it was, it was a nice, normal neighborhood. There were, there were just like a middle-class neighborhood or yeah, just a middle-class neighborhood. It, it was nothing, it was nothing fancy. Um, but I really loved all the homes. Like it wasn't cookie cutter. Like each home had its own little style and there were a lot of kids in the neighborhood. Um, Big oak tree in the front yard. Like Mm -hmm. that's where me and my brother would, you know, play ball and um, everything was normal. And, you know, so she was actually diagnosed with cancer when she was five months pregnant with, with me. Oh my gosh. Are you the, are you the youngest? I'm assuming then that you're the youngest. Yes. So it's me and my brother, my brother, Sean, he's four years older. So I think, and and that's the thing. I think it was really tough on him being the firstborn and and being older, understanding a little bit more about what was, what was going on and and seeing her whole progress with that. Um, It was, 
I know that it was tough on him and I could kind of see that in his eyes and definitely, definitely with my dad too. Um, right. Cause he's older. So he probably has a lot more memories with her and yeah, does, yeah. probably a little more of an understanding what was going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I just, I always saw sort of the struggling side. He got to see almost every aspect. He got to see her alive and well and, um, I think that's what really hit him. There was like a big contrast for him and what was going on. Mm -hmm. And so where did you grow up? So I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, um, which Jack Harlow is making that really popular right now, but a little small town in in St. Matthews. Um, It's a really nice neighborhood too. I mean, there were a bunch of schools nearby. It was really, um, it was really just a good place to raise a family what did your mom do for um was she did she work was was your dad working uh she was an interior designer so she was like really artsy oh wow and she yeah she had a really good eye um it's crazy now like I I read her diaries I have her diaries and she she creates all these like different um it's almost what is that what's the like collages she always created like a lot of collages and Mm -hmm. um still have a lot of her art my dad like I said he was a distribution manager for the yellow page company um but it was a lot of travel and once she got diagnosed like he didn't want to be away from from me and Sean and he didn't want to be away from her so it just made sense to come back to Louisville and he actually became a car salesman Mm -hmm. um he was really good at it and is that where like your extended family was also in Louisville? Yeah. So we were, so my dad, my, my dad met my mom in Louisville. I think, I think their first date was actually at Churchill Downs, like uh, the Kentucky Derby. So um, that's where they met and they went to California for a little bit and they came back and yeah. And that's where a lot of our family was. So was your mom a big proponent of education? Yeah, so she actually uh she went to Murray State. She graduated um she graduated with a bachelor degree. Um and I know back when I was five and six, the time that I had with her, uh she would always teach me how to read. I actually remember going and laying there in the hospital beds with her. Um that's like one of the big memories that I have. Mm-hmm. And she was always just trying to teach me really young. So how was her health? Like, was she kind of doing okay for a little while and then it just started rapidly declining or? Yeah. So it was, it just, it honestly kept declining. Um, I think the big thing that set it off was my dad found her outside. So she was on 30 different medications at one point and he actually found her outside on the ground, like yelling, screaming. She had the medication had just taken control of her body. She didn't really know what she was doing. And she had actually busted her head. And that caused a 10 month stay at the hospital. Oh, wow. While she because had of the head injury because of, yeah, because of the head injury and that mixed in with the medications and the cancer. And then that, I mean, that, that just kind of set it off. Yeah. And how old, how old were you at that point? I was around, that was five. That was around five years old. So I, it was tough. Um, Cause she was just always at the hospital. What was your relationship like with like your brother and your dad and your mom at that time? 
Yeah. So I would say me and my brother have always had a really great relationship and he'll laugh now. He, he was hard on me, but in like a really good way, in a brotherly way. Yeah. Um, It's funny. He would like make me go throw baseball with them or football. Like sometimes I would just be like, no, I'm too tired. I don't want to do this. But he'd drag me over to the field and he'd throw with me. And I think we truly built our relationship through sports because I feel like it just, it kept us occupied and it kept our minds away of, of what was going on back home. And, you know, during those times when we would throw baseball or football or play some basketball, we'd, you know, we'd talk it out and we'd share together, like how we felt. And, um, I mean, he's always, he's been my biggest mentor and he's one of my best friends. No. So he's still, still till this day, you guys have a close relationship. Yeah. Till this day. Yeah. I was his best man, gave a speech, made him cry, which is, um, what a good older brother. He's a great older brother. He's always had my back and, you know, I don't even have to tell him like, he just, he knows how much I love him. And every single day of, of high school, he called me. He was like, did you talk to your guidance counselor that? Yeah. Did you, did you apply for colleges? Did you take the SAT. I mean, he was always just kind of on top of me. Mm-hmm. He didn't, he didn't necessarily tell me anything inspiring, but he, I just always looked up to him. I, I wanted to be him in my own way in my own creative way. I, I wanted to like follow his footsteps and that's, that's why I went to the same high school he did. That's why I went to the same college. And I don't know, he always had his path kind of mapped out and I, I wanted to follow him. Oh, so that's, that's really cute. I have a lot of sisters. I mean, I have a lot. <laughs> let's see. Hold on. Let's see. I have um, 12, 12 sisters, one brother. So like I have a huge family. And I just, I mean, I definitely look up to my sisters and my brother a ton. So yeah, family is so important. Those sibling relationships, I mean, you just can't replicate them. It truly is. And um, my my dad would probably laugh. He, he'd probably, he probably, he's going to watch this or listen to this and be like, man, your brother was mean to you and you're like, what are you talking about? But you know, <laughs> Yeah, it, it's easy to say that like now, like like looking back, okay, maybe he was a little tough, but I think it was all like in good nature. And I think, um, I I think it was all just good. It was yeah. He always just had my back, and yeah, I feel that with my sis, my siblings also. Like we fought like cats and dogs, but yeah. we did like we were ferocious when it came to anybody else. <laughs> anybody that like had beef with us or we had beef with like they were like right there so yeah the moment that I knew that he always had my back there are a couple moments so one moment it was actually it was after my my mom passed and um I, I had complications with with one of these kids in the neighborhood and my brother found out and he stuck up for me and he like shooed the kid away and like I can't really recall like what he said but he, he it was him good. Away. It was really good. You yeah, know it was that. good. It was. It scared the heck out of him, and that's when I knew. I was like, okay, okay, he's he's got my back. He's got. Oh, everybody needs somebody who's just like has her back, no matter what. Um, yeah. So your mom ends up being in the hospital for ten months, and is that? Does she also pass away there, or does she come home, or? So she she had come home for it was probably a few days and um, with she, 
she's just showed a lot of signs of weakness. I mean, she could barely walk and she could barely get out of bed. And um, it was actually around Halloween time. It was like November 1st is, is when she passed. And the day, the day that happened, we, we always gave hugs and kisses. Like that was our ritual. Um, and we gave our hugs and kisses and me and Sean went off to school and something just felt off that day. I could just tell, I could see it in my dad in the morning and my grandma ended up picking up from school, which I thought was just very odd because she never really picked me up. And I could just tell like something was up and she took me back to her house and my brother was there and I was like, okay, but no one was talking. Like no, no one was telling me anything. And they finally told me and it, it was just kind of like a mix of emotions, kind of like it, it was just unreal. Like it wasn't happening. Like it truly, it sounds cliche, but it was all a dream. Um, wow. And did you understand? Did you? I understood that they told me and basically how they phrase it is just, you know, mom's in heaven. Um, you know, and we're going to go to the funeral and think I think the funeral is what hit the hardest because at first when I was told it was just hard to believe but we actually had an open casket funeral and that's where I had like my last conversation with her and I just remember like holding her cold hand and I think my whole like my whole mental state just kind of changed it altered um that's the first time that I learned about life and that I learned about like what eternity meant because I was talking to her and I saw her a week before and she was here, she was talking to me and I was talking, was talking to her, but she just wasn't talking back. And I just, I had to say goodbye. And, and I think that's what, that's what really struck with me. And that's what I think about even till this day, like even writing the book, in my book that I have and but I think that what helped the part sorry the part that stuck with you was that just one minute she was there and then she wasn't or yeah and I think that was hard for me to grasp this whole concept of eternity and that she will never be here again with me Mm -hmm. to see me play baseball or to see me go to school or to come back home that that I would just, I would never see her again. And I can't talk to her anymore. And so that that was really tough. And I think even just like learning about life, like how fragile it was. Um, And I was only six years old and I don't, but it still sticks with me till this day. It was, it was really nice. At least at the funeral, I know a lot of my friends showed up and even my teachers and even like my preschool, kindergarten, I think I was in first grade. So all of my teachers showed up and I think it was just really tough because I just, I kept, I just kept hearing, sorry, sorry, sorry for your loss. And it it just, it it actually, it just made it worse, but I know everyone was there to, to comfort me and I thank them for that. And I think that's, that's truly what helped though is after the funeral, a lot of my teachers would watch out for me. And um, there's actually a lot that like made me cookies and they, they brought them to our, to our home. And 
they would bring us food and stuff. And I even had one teacher that I was really close to. She, she babysat a couple of times. I know that's going like way above and beyond as like a teacher. So what was your understanding? I mean, did you, were you guys religious? Did you have an understanding about the afterlife? I think, and that's, so we were, we grew up like in a Christian background. Um, and it truly made me question everything because as a kid, you know, you think everything's just supposed to be great. You know, you, you follow, you follow the Bible, you, you know, you have this, you have this concept of, of heaven. And, you know, if you just follow all these rules, if you follow this, this scripture, everything's just great. Life's supposed to be great. And then like there at six was just like a really low point. And like at the funeral about learning about eternity, it just, it just hit and it made me question about what it means, what life means, what death means. And I wouldn't say that um, I continued Christianity or any type of like spiritual following, but I think what I learned along the way is I had the choice to think how I wanted to think of, about the situation. And it took some time. It wasn't like, it wasn't like I just snapped my fingers. I mean, at school, it was tough. It was like, it's all I would think about. And yeah, did you kind of become obsessive with that concept? Obsessive in, in what way about? We're just like, just constantly thinking about like what, if there was an afterlife, if there was a God, if there was. For sure. Something yeah, I would question because it's like, why, you know, only good things are supposed to happen. Why, why does this have to happen to me? Why does this yeah. have to happen to my family? Like we were all fine we're all doing so good and um it was a big question but I think I think what helped was I had the choice to to think positive about the situation and so what I like to think of was that she was in a place where she always wanted to be she was happy as can be um whether it was on the beach, drinking pina coladas, just whatever, wherever she wanted to be, wherever she was happy, that that's what made me happy. And I, I had the choice to think that way. So I think that's what helped. Sounded like you sort of were choosing like this, this like positive mindset from a young age. Yeah. Cause even though, even though I thought about it often and I grieved, I, I think I realized at one point, I don't, I don't know at what point, but I just slowly realized like I have the choice. I have the choice to think a certain way. I have the choice to move forward. I have the choice to use this as motivation. I have the choice to think that she's still here watching over me. I have that choice. And it wasn't going to do any good if I allowed that to dictate what my life was going to be. And I know I I was so young, but I, I feel like I, I had to mature early on and luckily I had an older brother. Yeah, That's a very mature. I, I feel like most adults can't even like understand, you know, <laughs> like that's not a concept. Even adults can yeah, really grasp that. That's yeah. Like if you're going to, if you're going to believe something like believe something that gives you some kind of hope, mm-hmm. do you still feel that way as an adult? Yeah. All the time. Yeah. I, I still think that we have the choice to think, however we want to think. And I choose to live my life in a way where I know that she's right here with me at this interview. And um, I know that she watches 
all the hard work behind the scenes that I put in. She watches my learning, my curiosity. She watches me at work. And you know that I have the choice to think that way. And it makes, it makes me happy. And I like being happy. And I, you know, that's, what's gotten me here today. You know, what's crazy is I was actually thinking that also before I came on with you, I'm like, I bet his mom, like she's going to have a presence here when we're talking, because I mean, you're talking, you're thinking about her. And I mean, as a mother, like, I feel like that's what I would want to do with my children if I passed, you know? And anyway, that's actually what went through my head. I'm like, I bet she's, I bet she's going to be with him tonight. Okay. So your mom passes and then what, what does, when does life start changing for you? So the immediate effect was definitely once we moved out of our house, we didn't get evicted yet. We, we had to move out of our house because we couldn't afford the rent. So my dad had actually lost his job and because he was dealing with, with grieving. And from his perspective, he wanted to do everything that he could to take care of his kids. Mm-hmm. And um, I know some parents, you know, at least growing up, they would say, well, he's lazy, just go get a job. But no, like, this is a six and a 10 year old that he's watching on. He just wants to make sure that, that we're okay. He, he was willing to sacrifice whatever just to make sure that we were okay. And, and he's, he was in sales, yeah. like lots of, you know, sort of yeah. a job, right. He was doing, was that he at the car sales job mm-hmm. at the time? You know, what's even, you know, what's even crazier is that his work fired him because he had left, uh, he had left work because, and this was, okay. So timeline. So this was actually before this was like an emergency fall. So this was when my mom was still um, alive. She had an emergency fall at home and my brother was home. Mm -hmm. And I mean, he must've been, I was probably four. He was eight. And my dad had left work because he got the call from Sean. He was like, Hey mom just fell. And so he rushes home. And he was literally fired the next day of work for leaving. What? I mean, different time, man. That's a different time. I feel like that would just not fly yeah. today, right? Yeah. So sorry, that was kind of like backtracking. But No, I, I love these details. I mean, it's a horrible detail, but I mean, it paints such a picture of like the reality mm-hmm. of how, how like the financial situation started becoming dire. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's, he's in, he's like, he's a car salesman and to be mm-hmm. able to put on like this happy, energetic, bubbly personality when selling after while grieving, while going through something so traumatic in your life. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I can't even imagine. I mean, luckily he was able to find a job and like relatively quickly. Um, but I knew he was struggling because when he was at work, he would just be thinking about us and it didn't help. I, I can't go into like full details about it, but we just, we had family complications um, mm-hmm. on my mom's side and my dad's side. It just didn't really see eye to eye and it, it didn't help that everyone was frustrated and everyone was, was grieving. And um, that kind of trickled in to him just not losing trust and, mm-hmm he knew that he had to be home. He had to be home to take care of his kids. Someone has to be there 
to take the kids to school. Who's going to take the kids to school? Who's going to feed them? But it's also, you need a job. Well, okay. How do we get the income? How do we feed them? So he actually ended up getting unemployment and, um, we actually got government aid. Uh, so if you're, if you, if you pass away and you have kids under 18, it's, you can collect what's called survivor benefits. So Mm -hmm. we were able to, um, you know, get enough monthly income, at least to like stay afloat. Like it was enough to just base level, just eat. Yeah. Bare, bare minimum aid. Bare minimum. Mm -hmm. And so we were relying on, on that for a lot of our life. And um, I, I started noticing things going downhill when we moved from the Hillsborough house to an apartment. It was a really nice apartment too, but it just, I started seeing this downward movement, this, this energy and with my dad and just our family situation. And I could just tell the, the stress was, was building up. And then we go from, this apartment to a duplex where my room I'm trying to like picture it now is probably like 50 square feet. My room, I don't know. It was really small. Like it basically fit me. It was a really small duplex. And one day on the way to little league practice, our van breaks down. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the pivotal moment because that's our only transportation. We've gone through our retirement accounts medical bills, the attorney fees, there, there was a lot adding up. There was little income. And so all this just started weighing down and we'd have to walk. Our only, our only way to get anywhere was to either walk or reach out to friends Mm -hmm. and to even keep a phone bill. People don't even realize this, like phones cost money. And we had like this little Nokia track phone. I don't know if you remember those, they're still around, but like we had this cheap Nokia phone. We only had so many minutes left. We had to make every minute count for when we needed a ride. And I was like the prepaid phones. Mm-hmm. Prepaid, prepaid. And we only had so many minutes. If we ran out, we honestly, we just have to wait until the next month until the next check came. And, um, and I just remember we, me and my dad, we'd have to walk the train tracks. It would take hours at a time to, to just go to the grocery store with the little money that we had. And, you know, a lot of times I was, I was tired and it was embarrassing. I didn't want to go. And my friends would pass by me in their cars and some of them would honk and then I'd go back to school. I had to walk to school. I had to find Metro buses to school and it was just embarrassing. So a lot of times I would turn him down and he would only be able to carry so many groceries back and I always felt really bad. And Mm -hmm but I saw that if he could do it, I could do it. Cause he actually got in a really bad crash. I think this was before I was born. He got in a really bad car accident and he's actually always had a bad back and you mix in the physical health with the mental health. I just saw that if he could do it, I need to do it. I need to walk the train tracks with him. And I'm so glad I did because in hindsight right now, it's, that's what built our relationship. We, Hmm. I think he needed me and I, I think I needed him just as bad. Cause how long was the walk to the school? It was so long. It was hours. I, I mapped it out. Um, I mean, it was miles it, just, you know, walking and we could only carry so much. So if we wanted to make it a good round of groceries, you know, I'm talking milk jugs, I'm talking 
like water, like, you know, packages of water, like whatever we needed to bring back to this little duplex. Did your brother go with you? So you had three set of arms? Sometimes. Yeah. He was, um, I think he was more embarrassed. He was older. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of you know, we'd walk through the train tracks, but there were a lot of cars that passed by, and uh, it was always just so embarrassing. Uh, you'd see like the turning heads, and because because was that just a symbol to you guys that you were poor? Is that where the humiliation was? Yeah, I felt I felt poor. I felt different. Everyone else had cars. Everyone else had plate of food everyone else had a whole bunch of groceries where you know me and my dad are are walking to get ours and it was barely anything and but he always did and he never he never kept us hungry he always did what he had to do even if we had to rely on government aid even if we had to ask people for money he tried looking for jobs and it just when people don't realize like you don't just snap your fingers and like a car pops up like you have to Mm -hmm. be able to get and go buy a car. Okay. We yeah. don't have any money. Okay. Well, you have to pay for insurance. We mm-hmm. don't have any money. You have to pay for gasoline. Okay. If you go get a job, how are you going to get to the interview? Mm-hmm. Okay. Take the Metro bus. Okay. Well now you have to find a job that's on the Metro bus route. Mm-hmm. You don't just snap your fingers. It's, and I think that's what built my perspective. I think that's what helped me grow my perspective at least of because I would hear it all the time people would you know say homeless people are lazy or you're stealing from the government you know you're just on your butt we weren't on our bus we were walking miles hours we were still working hard in school little little do people see the the effort that gets put in behind the scenes and the true struggle the true reality of what it is I think people who have transportation they're I uh, yeah, I think it's easy to take it for granted. Mm-hmm. Especially you know? far from places. Like, okay, we live like in some sort of city where there's like a grocery store right by. Yeah, but we did not. That was not our location. So after the duplex, we get this eviction notice and we didn't have anywhere to go. Mm-hmm. The complications were still tough with our family. And here and there, I had stayed with some of my family. But it just, it wasn't in our best interest at the time. Like me and my brother would have rather chosen to just stay with my dad, no matter what. That's how, that's how big the situation was that I would rather just be with my dad on the street than anywhere else. Yeah. Because that's how much love we had. We're, we cared about each other enough and we didn't want anything to come between us. Yeah, You didn't want to separate did not want to separate that. That was scary. That was a scary thought there. There were times. And again, I can't go into too many details, but there were times when I thought that I wasn't going to live with my dad anymore. And mm-hmm. that, that scared me. Oh yeah. That's, that's really amazing that through all of this that's happening, you guys have such a close bond, the three of you. I love that. And I love that you mentioned that when you would be walking home from the store or walking to the store, that you realize that that's what both of you guys needed was that time together. Yeah. You didn't, didn't realize like during it, but after you go, huh, like that's where we really grew. Like that's where we 
grew our relationship. We would talk. He's my big, my dad's my biggest fan. He's, mm-hmm. he, no, no one saw behind the scenes of what he did. I mean, he never forced me to do anything. He, he was always just so gentle. He was always so caring. He, he's, I mean, even till this day, I mean, he has my back and whatever I want to do. And I would talk about being professional baseball player and like, and he would just support whatever dream I had. And uh, he'd spend long nights. Like we'd, we'd walk to the baseball field with our gear and even with a bad back and all he'd throw it, throw to me for hours, just doing baseball practice. And no one's seeing that. No one's seeing that behind the scenes. A lot of people, you know, thought he was lazy and that he has problems and maybe he did have some mental problems. He lost the love of his life. He lost mother to his children. Once you go through something like that, I mean, nothing's so easy. And, you know, what I see in my dad is the best dad in the world. I I see him as, I mean, he's had my back through thick and thin. You have a really good perspective and a really good bond with your family. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's amazing. It's really important too. And it, it hurts me knowing that there are a lot of kids struggling, super bright kids, and they just don't have that family support at home. And Mm -hmm. that's tough on me. I actually, I I just went to speak at a, um, at a teacher conference and it was just tough listening to the stories because they would ask me, well, you know, you seem to have just such a great family. What do you say to the kids who don't? And I don't, I don't know what that's like, unfortunately. I truly don't. Mm-hmm. but I can always be there and, and help them, you know, with their mindset and their, or their perspective on, on focusing on, on what they can control. And that's all I can do sometimes. Yeah. So, um, you get evicted and then what happens? You, you have your, your bags, your clothes, you walk out the front door and then where do you go from there? Started walking. And so we put a lot of our stuff in storage and we just started walking. We walked hours on end. Uh, we cut through our shortcuts. We cut through the train tracks because I was the quickest way to anywhere. And Where were you thinking you were, you were going? You know, we started calling friends with the little minutes that we had. We, we were always just short on everything. It seems like we were always just short on money. We were short on time. We were short on minutes to call mm-hmm. people and we called up friends and, you know, some were kind of hesitant because like bringing a whole family in is kind of tough. And we were, we were able to, we were able to stay with, with a family for a week. It was one of my dad's friends, um, but we were just, we were just kicked out. I mean, they thought it would be like a night or two and, but it wasn't, we overextended our stay. And so again, packed up our things. They gave us some money, um, but we just kept walking. And I actually remember to this day, we walked up to different businesses and we walked up to a church and it was starting to get, it was starting to almost be nighttime. It was like 7 PM, 8 PM. And we're starting to wonder, like, are we going to have a place to sleep? And you're, what, like seven at this time? This time was around, I want to say, yeah, it was around seven because eight and nine was the homeless shelter. Okay. 
that's before. So, so that's, that's after. So yeah, at this point around like 8 PM, I'm thinking like, okay, I'm starting to question, like, are we going to have a place to sleep? And so we go to a church and you asked me earlier about like what I thought about spirituality and about following a religion. And I think what made me, what made me question things again was when the church turned us away. Mm-hmm. We just wanted to sleep. That's all. It, we just wanted to have a place to sleep. Mm-hmm. And you asked if you guys were asking to sleep in the church or being yeah. like provided some kind of shelter. Yep. Someone, just someone, please help us. Mm-hmm. We were turned away. Mm-hmm. And that would, I would definitely see how that would mold your perspective. And it didn't make me better. I will say that it didn't make me better. I was just, I was just sad. I was just bummed. Like I'm sitting here thinking, I'm just nervous. I'm like, what, mm-hmm. I mean, where are we going to sleep now? And it really started making me question, like, like, where am I, where are my guardians right now? And, mm-hmm. you know, eventually we ended up at a park and we're just sitting there and it was almost you know, we're just looking up and just at this night sky, like, I think I'm going to sleep on this park bench. Mm-hmm. We, had, we had little minutes left. But for some magical mir- miracle, I think my cry out loud, I think my crying is like what sparked this miracle. Somehow, some way, my dad's friend had seen us walking. And he had like followed us and saw us at the park bench and said, hey, like, what are you guys doing? Hop in the car, like, let's go. And mm-hmm. ended up staying at his place for quite some time. Wow. And that, that was like a sign. That was like definitely something like that gives me goosebumps right now. Like thinking about like that miracle. I was like that close to like spending my night on a, on a park bench, like with nowhere to go. And I didn't even have a lot of food that day either. So it was like an exhausting journey. You feel like that was almost an answer to your prayer or that was an answer to your prayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. Oh, totally. Oh, that For totally sure. was. So he, he finds you, picks you up. How long are you with him for? We're with him for a while. That was a, that was actually like a longer stay that had to be months. It had to be months. Mm-hmm. But then again, overextension there were certain boundaries set. There are certain goals that he wanted my dad to do, like mm-hmm. to get the job, get him back on his feet. And like I said, just with our complications, I think even mental health had a role too. Trust, trust was lost. And we still had to go to school. Mm-hmm. We still had to go to school. And that's all he could think about. And I do not blame him. I do not blame him for having this mindset that he just, he just wants us to be okay. So you still, while you were experiencing this, you were still going to school every day. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And I can recall one time. Well, okay. So this is after, so we overextended our stay and we're back at the hotel because the friend gave my dad some money and it just, it is what it is. It's, you know, friends can only help friends for so long before they need to, 
show improvement in themselves and, and, and kickstart, get the mind right to, you know, hit that restart button, but we just didn't what did have, you guys, what did you guys think about, um, mental health, like therapy or medication? Did you, did your dad, did you, your family have like, like ethics around it or like a, a strong mentality around it? So I know my dad's never really been huge on medication. Um, but he did do a lot of like grieving therapy, um, especially like right before my mom was passing, um, because they knew that her time was was coming to a close, and that that definitely hit him hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was always open to therapy, and and he did. Um, but I just think there's just something extra needed, and I just think at the end of the day, it didn't it didn't help enough. It it wasn't going to help him just be this happy grand old guy and, and just get the job again and, you know, give him the peace of mind that his kids are going to be okay and that they're fed. And so I think it, it, yeah, it just, it was, it was tough. And I think we became way more open-minded at least later on in, in life with, with therapy and trying to get him back on his feet. Yeah. So you leave there, then where do you go? Is that when you went into a shelter yeah, so with the money that we had left, we were at the hotel and initially we ran out and my dad had called a cab with a little money, you know, and that that's all we had and um I remember I I didn't know where we were going. Me and my brother asked and the cab was just kind of silent and I'm sure just my dad felt embarrassed. I mean, imagine being a parent, you probably feel like you just let your whole family down and mm-hmm. but that was just the reality of of our situation. It was it was embarrassing, but the cab took us to what ultimately was the homeless shelter and it was called Wayside Christian Mission. Surprisingly now it's a five-star restaurant which blows my mind, but <laughs> You're like it was not five stars when I was there. <laughs> yeah, it was certainly not. I remember. I mean, the first night I was greeted by two bunk beds, and okay. not really, a butler. It was bunk beds. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Two two bunk beds. We shared a room with the family. It, mold in the shower. We shared a bathroom. There's no mirror. Mm-hmm. Creaky wood floors. There were a lot of single moms with with babies. So you would hear the babies crying at night. We saw rats. There were rats squeaking under the floors. The mattresses were thin. They were made out of plastic. We didn't we didn't even have sheets mm-hmm. the first like week. Mm-hmm. And so here I am trying to sleep at night. And I just can't. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting there. I'm sleeping in the same bunk as my family with complete strangers next to me. So how is it? So it's two bunk beds. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, what, your dad's on the top bunk, the, you, the two kids are on the bottom? Yeah, so I, I had the top, me and Sean had the top bunk. Okay. Not at the bottom. Yeah, sometimes we would switch it up, but yeah. to make it interesting. But um, yeah, so I was usually on the top bunk. I'd have to climb up. And, and it wasn't, so we had this one family that lived right next to us, but sometimes um, there was a mix. Sometimes they would leave. We would get new families. Mm-hmm. And that really grew my perspective. I, I've lived with all kinds of people. Um, yeah. All different backgrounds. And I, I was going to say, how did you get along with them? 
Yeah. I think what helped, and this is what I write about in my book, is that I grew my perspective listening to these stories. I allowed myself to actually like listen and have an open mind and, and listen to where these people are from and what they've been through. And you're yeah. absorbing it at a young age. Yeah. Here I am coming from a really nice neighborhood. I had a Nintendo. Me and my brother would play in our front yards all day. We had the life. Yeah. What were you playing on the Nintendo? I really loved snowboard kids. I really loved Mario Kart, Mario Tennis, The Legend. Okay. So Zelda Ocarina of Time is hands down one of the best games ever created. That paved the way <laughs> for adventure games. I'm not even a gamer, but that that's one of the greatest <laughs> games ever created. Mario Kart still. Yeah. We, I still play that with my son. Mario Kart. <laughs> it's gone a lot better since then. <laughs> so no Nintendo at the shelter, I'm guessing. No, no Nintendo at the shelter, no mirror. So like, you can only imagine what I look like going to school. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I had to try to sleep and wake up two hours earlier than normal to go to school because we, me and Sean had to walk to a bus stop that was like unreasonably far away. Like, like, couldn't we send the buses right, like right to the shelter? But no, we had to walk. Really yeah, that actually away. would make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we were used to waking up, I don't know, like 7 a.m. Mm-hmm. I guess that's when people wake up 7, 7.30. But no, we had to wake up at like 5 a.m. And which was early for us. It mm-hmm. was earlier than normal. And I'm really, really shocked that there was not like a, some kind of transportation from there to bring children to school. Like where's the, I don't know. Is there a social worker working with you guys or anything? There is a social worker. There was, there were social workers. Now I will say, so we're kind of like jumping ahead, but there I've lived at two shelters. Mm -hmm. First shelter, no bueno, no good. Mm -hmm. No, like I said, mold in the shower, like no heat. Like no blankets, no like basic, basic items. Right. It was just nasty. It smelled, it it smelled like, like just like baby's diapers and just. Yeah. Oh, how many people were living in the shelter and how many rooms were there? Man. From what I remember, because I had to block just a lot of it out there. Strange things that happened there, but I mean, I want to say there were there were like a handful of rooms, like probably like five rooms with multiple bunks. Now there was one like huge room that would host a lot of people. They would try to keep more of like the moms together. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't so often that you actually saw a single dad in, in a shelter. So you're seeing mostly single moms. Yeah, you're sleeping in rooms with babies. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I mean. That see, like sleeping in a room with a baby, even me just sleeping in a bedroom with my baby when, when we go on a trip, it's like impossible to sleep. Mm-hmm. Wow. So you're being woken up during the night. Yep. And then, you know, the rats, the smell, just every single thing, just, it just added up. And, but that was my reality. And mm-hmm. how long were you there? So I was there at that first homeless shelter for nearly a year. I mean, that lasted um, all of all of fourth grade, almost all of fourth grade, and then like half of fifth grade. We we moved shelters. We overextended yeah. our stay. 
Yeah. Oh, really? In that shelter? Yeah. You they like had a timeline for you. you stay there forever. Yeah. And there were are they trying to like rehabilitate, or I don't know if that's the proper word, but are they? Is the social worker helping your dad come up with the plan? Like, is that the goal when people yeah, are in these shelters? The and like I said, I think the first shelter just did not have a real, didn't have a good program. Um, the second one was way better. It was like, it was like moving in a mansion, like better. It was like, oh, we have sheets now. Oh my gosh, we have a mirror. Like we can see you ourselves. felt fancy. Yeah. Once I saw myself in the mirror, I was like, oh. <laughs> so yeah, I feel fancy. I felt a little more fancy. There was a playground. Um can be a kid like I can go run around like me and my brother at the first shelter would have to throw baseball in the alleyway like mm-hmm. it was a concrete jungle wow. but that's what we had to do to kind of just keep occupied and did people know that you were homeless when you'd go to school did they know you were living in a shelter so no they they had ideas because I wouldn't tell anyone mm-hmm. I was embarrassed to I rode a special bus, I'll call it. It was a special bus. It was a very small, old, clunky bus. And I was the only student to ride on it. Oh, wow. Oh, because you and your brother are in different schools? Different grades. Different schools, different grades. And so once we got to the bus stop, I'd hop on this, like, just ridiculously looking bus and maybe you know as a kid it was way worse than what it actually was but that's how I felt I'm like wow I'm riding this bus to school and so I'd show up to school and like I remember the first day that I showed up on that bus like all the kids faces like they just dropped and you could you don't even need to tell me words like I could just see it in their eyes of like this is different and so like they saw me step off the bus and I just kept looking at me and I just I darted I darted to to the class and that that caused a lot of like embarrassment and isolation and you know kids would ask me left and right like like where do you live where do you live because a lot of my friends they they wondered like what happened I, I was just in the neighborhood like would they you're... come over to play where were, did you have like neighborhood buddies exactly yeah like these are kids that I grew up with and then all of a sudden it's like where'd you go Mm-hmm. What happened? Mm-hmm. And I was just so embarrassed because I didn't want anyone to know. And I didn't even want teachers to know. And I couldn't even tell you if they knew. I never told them. Yeah. Never, and it's something I, they didn't bring up to you. And they probably realized there was like some shame around it if they did. Yeah. can't imagine yeah. at that age dealing with that kind of like shame and embarrassment. Mm-hmm. It's already so tough being being a kid. And just navigating social situations, but then to add this extra layer on top of it would be rough. Yeah, you're not you're not like the cool kid. You're not like popular. You're just that kid that rides that different bus and the kid who's very awkward and struggles to like answer basic questions about where he lives. Like I was that kid. And so were you quiet? Were you a quiet kid? Were you what was your personality like? Or did it sort of change when all of this was happening? I think it changed. So I would consider myself an introvert in elementary school. I was very observant. I'd always just watch people and like kind of soak everything in. And I wasn't, I wouldn't say that I I did bad in school. I just think my mind was occupied 
in elementary school with everything that was going on. Yeah. How could it not be? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I was a quick reader and how to write. I was pretty, you know, I was doing okay. It's just like my mind was clouded and I just, I always felt embarrassed. It was always like just a pent up feeling of, of just being different and, and being that poor kid. And yeah. um, I, because I now like- you're not probably inviting people over to play, you know, doing play dates or having friends come over or going to friends' houses or were you going to friends' houses at all? Well, that's the thing. Yeah. I'm not in, was not inviting anyone over to the homeless shelter because yeah. the dinner I would serve them, we'd go to the soup kitchen. So there's your dinner. Mm-hmm. I don't have a TV. That's what kids do. They, they go play video games or they go outside. And I couldn't do any of that. And mm-hmm. Were you going, were, were you being invited to friends' houses? Were you going over I, to friends? I would, I would go over to friends' houses, but the tough part about that is that they'd have to drop me back off and then they know and, then so would they did you ever have friends drop you off there I did so I tried to avoid spending too much time at friends houses and there were some that understood and I really appreciate the ones that did Mm -hmm. I didn't open up too much I just always told them hey just things are tough right now we're gonna make it out but just think we're just in a rough patch right now and I remember one instance uh, it was like after basketball tryouts at elementary school and um everyone like they're all gearing up like hey let's have like a sleepover that was just the thing everyone was about it and I was like okay they like pressured me in I was like okay okay and they didn't know so the next morning when the parents are like dropping off all the kids gotta drop them back off at the place right everyone's piled in the car and I'm hoping like please dear god like let me be the last kid dropped off and I was the first one to drop off and the mom was like Cause you're probably so, the furthest one, right? Yeah. So it's like, well, where are we going? And I was like, you know, started just like giving directions and like, oh, it's like over here, over this part of town. And she's like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. You're and not I, like, oh, it's uh, the Christian, yeah, wh- yada yada why, homeless shelter. Why are we going downtown? I didn't know you lived downtown. It's like, yeah, and. They dropped me off and just the look on their faces, like I had never gotten out so quick of the car. Like, Oh my gosh. And like, I'm sure there's just so much embarrassment trying to think from like a parent's perspective of like dropping a kid off in that situation. I mean, did she, did she reach out to you? Did she invite you over more often for play dates? I feel like I would want to like take that kid under my wing and be like, come and play as much as you want. I feel like there definitely was a change in the behavior. Was it really inviting? Was it like, Hey, I want you over all the time. And I want to like care for you. She definitely had my back. Like there were definitely families that like had their eye on me and I truly appreciate it. And I I'll say to this day, like I am the product of, of helping hands. Like I, I wouldn't have made it. I wouldn't even be sitting here talking to you today if I didn't have those helping hands. And it was just, it was like the littlest things too, like asking for rides or just, just making sure I'm, I just have a smile on my face that I'm happy, like saying something positive. Like it's just those little things that add up that. Well, and a ride to you is like, I would feel like would be the, just make all the difference, whether you could participate in sports and feel like you're part of, you know, like social groups, just being able to have that transportation. So just a parent asking if you need a ride would, I would think would make such a difference. Yeah. Cause I truly cared. And I know, 
like a situation like that can probably define a person, like make them want to give up or quit or just, and honestly, as sad as it is, like probably kill themselves. But I know probably not in elementary school, but once you get older, like something like that could, could be a huge tragedy for someone. Oh, totally. You're opening my eyes so much just by talking to you, just of like awareness, awareness of like my friends, kids that come over or just, yeah, just like the, just keeping your eyes open, open for, to people who would like need you, who need that helping hand. There's a quote that I'm forgetting right now, but it's like silence is like the loudest form. It's like, you know, I was silent. I was very introverted, but that's when I really needed the most help. And I'm actually writing about that right now because it's very important to me. I, I had to get over the short-term embarrassment. All that was was short-term. So how I started thinking about these things was that, okay, okay, I can't control the situation. I can't control that I'm poor. I can't control where I live. But what I can control is my whole attitude around the situation. Yeah. And I just started seeing everything as short-term. Like, yep, okay, so what? Fifth grade graduation? Me and my dad had to map out the Metro bus and we had to walk like an hour to the bus and we had to like walk the rest to just get to graduation. Everyone's dressed in nice clothes and here I am in jeans and like this long oversleeve polo. It was so ugly. It was like green and yellow. Like it was really ugly and I'm sweaty because it's in June. Oh gosh. And I'm like embarrassed. In June. And, and here I am telling my dad, like, do we have to go to this graduation? Like, do we have to? And but all of it was just short term. I left that graduation. I'm like, who cares? All right. Elementary school's over. Like, How do you have this mentality? Like you, that's very young. I feel like that is a very profound piece of advice or words to live by. Or is that problems often are short term. And if you can have that perspective. So when I had my first son or well, my, my baby, I was so overwhelmed. I like went into a depression and it's just like natural postpartum stuff. I know you're like so interested in all the postpartum, so relatable to your life. <laughs> but I remember my sister told me, cause she's a therapist. She was like, Chelsea, this is temporary. Like you just need to always remind yourself like this amount of like exhaustion and, you know, like the depression you're going through, like this is temporary. It is going to get better. And I remember when she told me that, like my perspective changed so much, like it immediately like gave me just like peace. Like I can't, I can get through this. This is temporary. It's going to be for a few months, like this phase of my kid, just like waking up every two hours, like this is temporary. And Mm -hmm. I think that perspective is for me, it was a game changer. Mm -hmm. It's one of the strongest things anyone can build. And not too many people realize how strong their mindset is. Um, Once you realize like how much power you actually have in your choice and your attitude, you can do a lot of things. And, And I think I started realizing that after fifth grade, when I consider the restart button of my life. So after all the embarrassment of Louisville, Kentucky and, and all that, we go back to the, so I was at the homeless shelter, get kicked out of the second homeless shelter, surprised. And because he wasn't, your dad wasn't meeting like the certain goals that they had, were laying out for him. 
What do they think is going to happen to kids though? It's like one thing if it's happening to an adult, but then you're also, I mean, they're children, your children. What are they thinking? Where are they thinking you're going? Do they have like a plan of action to help take care of at least the children if they're getting kicked out? Yeah, I'm sure. Um, but it didn't happen with us. Um, yeah. Okay, man, this home things need to change. I'm sure they have since, but yeah. Yeah. I, I know a lot of things have changed. I know even like I was talking to one of my old teachers, my old English teacher from high school, and I brought up free lunch. Like that was a very embarrassing thing when you're the kid swiping your free lunch card or tapping in your number that you have to do like you are the kid that has free lunch oh you're poor um it was like a big sign it's like wearing a big sign like i'm poor and i talked i was talking about and she's like oh well that like doesn't exist nowadays like everyone eats like you have to eat and i was like oh my son gets free lunch progress just gets it i didn't have to fill out anything the whole school gets it yeah like it used to be like oh those are those kids and you'd have to do something special, like scan a card or like, it was clearly different. And so yeah. people would be like, oh. students would be like, oh, what, what's that kid doing? Right. And I know like for people who, who are on food stamps, I know there's like special, it, it, certain lines where there's food stamps. And I knew somebody who had to, how to use them. And she would mm-hmm. talk about just how, and this is actually fairly recently, just like how embarrassing it was to be that person in line holding up the entire line behind them. She's scanning, you know, her food stamps. I don't know exactly how it works, but she said it was just like, it's just that symbol of like, okay, everybody knows. Everybody's like burning a hole through me. You know what's worse is getting out to the line, scanning the EBT card, and you don't have enough money. Oh my goodness. That's, That's even worse. So having them just look at you and be like, well, I guess we're going to take half of these groceries back to the aisle. That's, that's even worse. That's yeah, I'm sure. And I'm sure you were standing in line with your dad and that would happen plenty of times. Mm -hmm. So then, um, after the second homeless shelter, where do you go? Hotel with money that we scrounged up, that we panhandled and we, uh, would you guys panhandle? Would you like stand outside and with signs or? We just, not, not all the time. This was just like dire need. Like we wouldn't be in with our jars or hats or whatever, but we, we had to ask, we had to just ask some random people like, Hey, like, like we need this. Um, this was after the homeless shelter. What was that like panhandling? I had, I, I know somebody who did an experiment um, like went to downtown LA just so they could understand mm-hmm. what it was like to just, a, just, a, just a tiny little glimpse of what it was like to have to be somebody who like one person, there are two guys and one person slept like, like basically like under a bush that night in downtown LA and the other person was in a shelter. But I, I know for this particular person who did the experiment he said, there was something about people who would just completely look past them and walk away. Mm-hmm. Like, like they didn't exist. It was like, and I, like, I don't know. I feel like everybody's probably had that experience where you're like, okay, do I give this person money? Oh, if I make eye contact, I'm going to have to. If you want to know what feeling invisible looks like, that's how it feels. Wow. If you ever want, if you ever want to experiment, if you want to see like 
have an invisibility cloak, you just go, go panhandle, go have a sign. Um, you'd be surprised how many people just don't even look you in the eyes. And we all feel like we've all done that. We've all done that before. Mm-hmm. It makes you think, you know, there is someone behind there. Has it, did that experience, and I mean, the whole accumulation of the experience, did, has that affected how you see somebody who's like with a sign in front of a grocery store, you know? Every single day on my way home to work or to work from home to work, there's always homeless people right at the light. And I always look them in their eyes. I read what's on their sign. And I can't always help. I don't have all the money in the world. But when I do have spare change, I give it. Because it's all that matters. It's like just the littlest things. And even just a conversation. So one time in college, it was a life-changing event. Um, I remember walking home from like one of my best friend Michael's house, his apartment. And East Tennessee Street at Florida State University, Go Knowles, it it's pretty rough. And I remember walking back home and I was like very cautious. And um, I shared this special moment though, little did I know at the time, where I passed by this gas station and this man approached from the corner and kind of like, you know, kind of came at me and I was like kind of blown away a little bit. And he was just like, Hey, I I just, I need help. Um, All I need is just like some water, just some snacks. And like, what's going through my head is like, okay, this is like kind of aggressive. And, you know, I just wanted to be home and here I am, you know, with all the scholarship in the world and the GoFundMe account, which I guess we can talk about after, but yeah. Here I am. So oh, much to get to. Okay. Yeah. I, here I am. Just the whole world is just right I'm on top of the world. And here I am kind of just put off by a homeless person. And like, I didn't want anything to do with them. And like, I was trying to find excuses and I turned him away and I, I felt really bad about it. But then I started walking and I said, Nope. I went into the gas station, bought him water and snacks I came back to him and he was sleeping on his like cardboard little layout mm-hmm. that he had. And I could tell that he was in pain and I I gave him the water and I gave him the snacks and said, I'm sorry. And I started talking to him. I had a conversation with him and he, he said, now I will say this, we were completely different. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I'm in this nice, like Ralph Lauren polo, which I bought at Plato's closet for like five bucks. <laughs> I had this nice little watch on, which again, I don't know. I found some deal here. He is seeing this, like what he thinks is this rich white kid with daddy's money. Mm-hmm. And he happened to be a tall black man on the cardboard box. Mm-hmm. That was our reality that we were facing. And he looked at me and he said, mm, see kids these days, you know, I, I really appreciate, but, all you guys just have all this money in the world and, you know, I'm just invisible. And he starts letting out his feelings. And I I told him, I shared to him my story and about how I was homeless literally a few years ago. And we shared this moment 
of perspective where we actually sat down and we listened to each other. We listened to each other's stories. We looked each other in the eyes Mm -hmm. and he got really motivated and I got motivated too because here I was on top of the world and I was about to just turn him away and all he wanted was water. All he wanted was snacks. That's all he wanted. And that moment lives with me like forever. Like that'll always. You gave me goosebumps when you told that story. I will always remember that. Here you have two different worlds. You know what's even crazier? He was from Louisville, Kentucky. Wow. Here I'm at Florida State in Tallahassee, Florida. And he's no from way. Crazy. I feel like the stars aligned for you on that one. It gets me sometimes how things seem so perfect. Yeah. Right? So like those moments happen. It's like a test, I call it. It's like like that was supposed to happen and like maybe yeah. I passed the test or something. I don't know, but it was. It was like, yeah. like it was meant to be. Do you ever, this is kind of off subject and I can totally edit it out if you want, but do you ever feel like sometimes your mom's sort of orchestrating things from behind the scenes? Sometimes, Did your brain ever go there? Sometimes it seems too good to be true with the situations that I get in and, and how sometimes it just like things work out. One of my best friend. One of my best friends, Michael, he always says, you know, things work out. And for some reason, I, I think she does. She's, she must be. But, you know, like with this story about feeling invisible when you're panhandling. I mean, my friend who conducted this experiment, like that was the one. And it was just for one night. But that was the one thing he said is like, you just feel invisible. If there's anything just completely demoralizing and just feels like it just takes away hope of like ever being like human. Mm-hmm. It's just feeling like people can't even see you. Like you just don't exist. Mm-hmm. So you did this for just enough so you could get into this hotel where you stayed. Yeah. And where it picks from there is my my dad's mom, my grandma, she's she was living in Jacksonville, Florida. For quite some time and you're probably thinking like well why didn't like she help you or why didn't some of my family like in Florida that that eventually moved down to Florida ever help you well they they did as best as they could I mean my grandma would send me would wire us money we didn't like there wasn't like Venmo like there is now or like PayPal or any of that like I'm sure there might have been PayPal but it was difficult and the most that they could do was was either send money they had their own lives in Florida. She had her own life. And, but she finally just said like, enough is enough. Like, you know, she was older and she, she said, no, I'm, I'm going to come and get you guys. She called my dad. She said, I'm on my way. I'm picking you guys up. Mm-hmm. And, and that's from Jacksonville, which is like, got to fact check me. I want to say that's like 12 hours just to get there. So it was like a full day thing. Wow. But me and my brother got so excited. Like, we were like, oh, we're going to go to Florida. And we rushed to the hotel lobby. We Googled Jacksonville, Florida, high schools, middle schools. Mm -hmm. Uh, We got, like, super excited. We saw, like, the middle school that we were going to go to and the high school. And we just started talking about, like, like, oh, my gosh, like, like, this is our chance. Like, we're going to do things differently. We can't wait. 
we're gonna play baseball or yeah it's that was what i consider like the restart button um it was, your, gra- it was your grandma yeah my my dad's mom she she made that all happen she picked us up got all the things that we could scrounge up um i can't really remember i'll be honest with you i'll have to talk to my dad but like the storage unit mm-hmm. all that stuff i left behind yeah i don't know at what point the pictures of my mom there's a lot there's a lot of valuable things um, well, and, if, and when you go i mean uh what is it like storage wars that show do you we're go storage wars yeah there you go you, you don't even know it instead of storage wars because there was my my brother had like a holographic charizard pokemon card like oh shit but things like a thousand bucks now. It's crazy. But the stuff, but like just the memories of your mom and the pictures and probably like VHS videos or, you know. There was a lot left behind. And that was like a big chunk. I call it like our whole identity just got left behind in yeah. Louisville. And, but I feel like it was almost all for the good. We got to start on our new, on our new identity. Yeah. So you get there, you get to Florida, you're living with your grandma. So. We got a rental house. We got my dad on his feet, got him a job. I think it was at like a, was that like coach, like a, a purse factory? Mm-hmm. But it was lifting heavy boxes and he only did it for so long. He was probably doing it for like maybe a year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we were able to at least afford that rental home. And we still had some of the survivor benefits that helped pay for food. And my grandma helped us so much. Like, we we used her car often. We didn't have it every day. We didn't have it every weekend, but every other every other weekend. She, I mean, she was always there. She was always a phone call away. Um, and did you live by your school now, so you could just like walk to it? Yeah, or? I would. I would bike to middle school, and um, when it rained, it would really suck. I eventually had to find rides. Um, I had to make friends and find rides because here I am, this kid who knows no one. Mm-hmm. And I have to, I had this energy though. I had this, um, like I said, it was a complete restart. I would ride my bike to school and I was going to be like, no one knows me here. Like I get to kind of be like who, who I've always thought I was, yeah. which was, which was, I always thought I was kind of goofy and kind of like funny. And, um, and you're like, this is a whole new identity. I can be whatever personality I want. What I want. Yeah. I'm That's not kind of the nice part about moving, you know, like moving states. I just moved states and it's like, hey, whoever I want, nobody knows me here. Mm-hmm. Especially, <laughs> kind of refreshing. Being, especially like middle school too, because a lot of different students are coming into this new middle school. Like some, some kids in elementary, like split ways, they go to different middle schools. Well, here I am. I'm like new kid. I'm kind of like, just going to fit in here. Um, so that was really nice. And I made a lot of best friends who I still even talk today in middle school. And I think. Was it sixth grade? Did you like start at the beginning of the year? Yeah. Start right. Yeah. Cause we had moved. It was like July. So it was like a okay. month before school was starting. So it was like. So what are you like 12 at this time? Let's How see. Start school? <laughs> it's been a little while. <laughs> no, like 10. I was like 10. All right. Yeah. Fifth grade is, t- I think I was 10 in fifth grade, actually. 10 or 11. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I would, I would ride my bike and, and 
I carried over, you know, we talked about embarrassment and all, all the stuff that, that was happening in elementary school. I was formulating my perspective of the world. I was observing, I was sitting back. I was, I was seeing what life meant and little did I know it's, it's easy to say in hindsight, but little did I know that that was all just a test of stamina and patience. That's all it was where people fail is when they truly give up. And I could have given up. I could have easily in fifth grade, just given up, not cared. My brother could have given up. He was in middle school. He was, um, he was even in high school. He, he went through whole freshman year of high school in a homeless shelter. And that's, that's a completely different ball game because high schoolers know way more about what's going on. Mm -hmm. And, but we didn't give up. We never did. And we carried that through to when we hit that restart button. And when I tell you that I sprinted through the halls and got to class really early, saw the work on the board. I made it a goal to never have homework, to get straight A's, and to never miss a day of school. I said, right before school started, that's what I was going to do. And every day I would sprint to class, never did have homework. Wow. And well, What was your motivation to wanting to do well in school? Like, what, what, what was it driving you? Part of it, I would probably owe it to not wanting to go back to the life that I was living because I knew if I made the choice to show up in class and not care and to fail out of school, I realized that that wasn't going to get me to where I wanted to be. Where did I want to be? I dreamed about having a nice house. I dreamed about I dreamed about having my own room and I, I dreamed about like making it out, like never going back to that life that I was living. And mm-hmm. I had to understand that early. And I know you might have some people like, Oh, sixth grade, like no sixth grader thinks like that. You're 10 or 11 years old. But I knew from that moment that if I was going to make that choice to, to just flunk and, and skip and just not care, I knew where I was headed. So I chose well, statistically, right? I mean, basically 80. So I'm writing about this. So um, I'm going to throw some stats out. Uh, we'll have to get yeah. sources, but go ahead. Nerd out on me. Let's hear it. Youth, youth experiencing homelessness are four and a half times more likely to experience it later on in life. Four and a half times more likely. Also, it's like 87% of, of students that are homeless um, are 87%. Sorry. Homeless students are 87% more likely to drop out of school. Mm-hmm. And this is middle school, high school, 87% more likely than... That's a huge statistic. That's huge. Yeah. And all that has to do with is a lot of it is actually ab- uh, chronic absenteeism. Not making it to school. How do you get to school? Oh, I see. Okay. Um. And then a lot of it's mindset too. Um, we could have easily, me and my brother easily could have just given up. And then there's another one. I think there's another stat. It's um, so there's absentee, there's just mental, mental health. And then the last one is actually just, just poor test grades. So like the poor test grades add up and then eventually it's just, they funk themselves out and they end up just like just giving up. 
Like they don't, they don't follow through. Mm -hmm. And now I didn't know about these statistics when I was in middle school, but what I did know was that I had the choice to show up to class and view education as a means to, to paving my way out of where I was living. And even though that rental house was like a mansion compared to the homeless shelter, I was still poor and I was still struggling. Mm -hmm. Didn't have much. And, but I made every opportunity count and I appreciate every little thing that I had. And when I would sit in the classroom, I think what really frustrated me and it didn't make me better, but I think what frustrated me is I'd look over and I'd see people, other students kind of talk about how crappy their life is. And here they are, you know, with their brand new computers and they have both of their parents and they have transportation to school. I'm still riding my bike and it was frustrating. And I kind of like set out to kind of like prove myself wrong to, to prove that I could do this without those valuable things. I, I didn't need the latest computer. I didn't even need internet. I just try to build the mindset and perspective that I was going to make this happen no matter what, like I was doing in Louisville, Kentucky. It's, I had to get groceries to survive. Okay. Well, well now I have to, I have to go through and, and get my degree or make something of myself. And um, I think learning and education is like one of the best things that, that ever happened to me, this curiosity that grew. I was mm -hmm. so curious every day I showed up and I, I was like, what can I do better today? This is sixth grade. What can I do better? Oh, can I finish that quicker? Um, what if I asked this question? I started becoming curious. And that curiosity just like has stuck even till this day. Have you always had a curious mind? Yeah, I've always been, I've always had many questions. I was always uh, asking a lot of questions when I was growing up because you know, when my mom passed, I asked a lot of questions about life, death, eternity, religion. I was just very observant for a really long time. I would just always wonder why certain things happen. I was very curious with people and human behavior. Why are people doing that? Why do they feel this way? Mm -hmm. I was always asking other people questions about like how they felt or how they viewed things. And I think that's really important is to actually what I call is called being an investigative journalist is, you know, we become so narrow minded when we just think like one certain way, or like we read the Facebook article and like, yep, that's how I think. That's how I always need to think. Or, Oh, my parents, that's how they think that's the right way, but there's actually no right or wrong way to think. I think the best way to think, and this is just my opinion is to be as open-minded as you can and attack things from all different angles and use all those different angles to form your own judgment. I feel like if we were, if we were to all do that, the world would be an awesome place. Yeah. You sound like, <laughs> you sound like my son or my son sounds like you, like the same kind of brain, just curious. like that curious brain. You know what he, he's been asking lately. He's been like, Hey mom. Um, so like, you know, God's the father, you know, we don't, we're, we're like, we're like spiritual. We're still trying to navigate what we're going to teach our kids. But, um, He's like, mom, so if God's our dad, God's the father, who's his, who's his dad? I'm like, oh, that's a good I mean, he's just a, his dad. 
Yeah, but like, who's his dad? His dad's dad then. Oh, no. Just like, his dad is his dad's dad. <laughs> okay, but who was the first dad? Um, I don't know. <laughs> Wait, how old? He's five. Dang. So I'm telling you, man. Good like, questions. <laughs> he's giving me the run for my money. I'm like terrified. Like, he's asking way more questions than I even asked. Yeah, how do you even do that? It's like, oh. I'm supposed to be like, you know, the smart parent. I'm supposed to have all these answers. Like, Well, that's how I saw my parents growing up. It was like they knew everything. And so I look at, at my kid. I'm like, oh, crap. I'm supposed to know. <laughs> I'm like, Alexa, who is God's? I'll just ask Alexa everything. <laughs> I think he realizes, like, I don't know shit. <laughs> like, that was not how, how I saw my parents at all. But like for me, I'm like. He's going to grow up knowing that I don't have my shit together. I'm sure. That sounds smart. I think it's good. I think it's good that he's asking those questions. I do too. He he asked, he did come home when you're going over statistics. I was going to say he came home and he said, cause he's in kindergarten. He's like, did you know that if you can't, if you don't learn to read by third grade, you're going to prison. <laughs> he said, I know. I'm like, so what? Who said that? He's like, oh yeah, my teacher told me if I can't learn. He's like, so we need to make sure we read every day because I don't want to go to prison. And I'm like, I don't know, should I? Does that mean you have a talk with your teacher, or is this going to motivate you? Like, maybe this is like good motivation. Yeah, you're He's like thinking like, like crazy because ever since he heard that. But it's some statistic, like, I guess. Like, should I keep this going? Like, okay, it's working. <laughs> It is. He's totally motivated by it. Yeah. He's totally motivated, but yeah, it's like that inquisitive questioning brain. I think it's so good. I mean, it's terrifying for parents, um, but it's, I think like the world needs those questioning brains that aren't like locked into one view. And I grew up very religiously. And so my, my perspective was very much locked into one way of thinking. And as in my thirties now, it's like, I question everything and it's scary to, to like shake your belief system, but it's such a necessary part of life. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think that it's like politics with everything, you know, you can't be just so like locked into like one way of thinking. You need to be able to ha- understand multiple perspectives. How do we have change? How do we have growth? It can't just be, it can't just be red, blue. It can't just be like, you know, we can't just separate ourselves. Right, like, it's like, well, oh, well, I think this way because I'm liberal. Or I think this and this and X, Y, Z because I'm Republican. It's like, well, where's like the nuance? Yeah, can we? Have- yeah, like I kind of like what you're saying over here. I kind of like what you're saying over here. Uh, I don't really agree with that, but let's talk about it. And that's an important thing. Can we like communicate in a way that's like nice about things? Like, yes. can we like not demean people? Yes. Can we like actually like listen to the person? You are speaking my language right now. Like, seriously, I go on like a soapbox about this where it's, if you're, if you identify with an ideology so much, it's like, it's basically like locking yourself into a religion. It's like, well, my idea, like my political party says I have to believe like this, have these, this list of values. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, well, what if you don't agree with one? Are you scared of like people judging you or you're so locked into your view that you can't say, well, maybe actually this, this one thing is a little more moderate or a little more on the right or, you know. It's like people are like waving like the label, like, uh, like you're, 
your uh, party is like a football team. Like, yeah, like, no, no, it's not. I think with anything, it's like at the end of the day, if, if you're, if you're not absorbing every angle uh, and observing like every different perspective and you're not forming your own, then that's, that's the real destruction. Like I can appreciate someone who's at least tried to bring in all the different angles and all the different perspectives and has made their own choice. So you are in school, you're kicking ass. You're like a student. It sounds like. Yeah. So I got my first, so it was in sixth grade. It was like progress report day. It wasn't a report card day, but like a progress report shows you how you're doing. And, and you had to walk around with a slip to all your teachers. You'd hand it to them right before class and they would, circle the teacher would circle the grade and then write a little comment and then kind of talk to you for like a minute or so it was very brief and I remember like you know handing it off to the first teacher which I love uh, Miss Peoples and she had circled it she circled the A and we you know kind of talked that I was doing well and I was like okay okay and then one after one it was A and it was circled A and it was circled A and um, I got to like the last class and I was just like I was kind of just like giddy. I I had never felt that way before. It was like, it was almost one of the first times where I truly saw that my input was equaling output because previously my mind was clouded and I never felt like I gave it my all in elementary school and um, in elementary school, school, but like still it, it, I felt like I wasn't doing amazing. It was just kind of like average. And, but that was the first time where I felt like above average and it felt good. It felt really good. And, um, you know, it wasn't the A, it was literally about all the hard work and effort that I put in. It actually like equated to something. And that was magical. It was a magical moment. I could care less about the A. Um, but I also, I enjoy like knowing that my teachers were happy and that they had told me nice things. And I, I remember going back to my dad and showing him and he was just super happy. And my, my brother, I remember my brother telling me, he was like, this was in middle school. He's like, you know, if you like keep doing that, you can be valedictorian. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. And uh, he was like, valedictorian, you know, you, you like, you get a speech and, you know, you still have to make all A's. So it's super hard. Um and I was like, okay. So I was like, valedictorian. Okay, that, that has a nice ring to it. And yeah. all your brother middle- sounds so supportive, by the way. And so does yeah. your dad. Yeah. Was he competitive sure. at all, or was it just like supportive? Like he's like rooting you on. Oh, of course. We're super competitive. Like, oh, really? Because <laughs> <he was laughs> like, what he was saying just sounds like such a non-competitive, just like a very supportive thing. <laughs> That's why I asked. Oh, we're super competitive. Like he's the type where we're playing Mario Kart and I'm about to win. He turns the game off. <laughs> I never beat him in anything because he either turned the game off or he'd quit and he'd be like, well, we never got to the score. So whatever. <laughs> um, so we're that competitive. Um, okay. I, I've, I've played with people that <laughs> I played with people who literally like board games where they literally throw in the game across the room. You're like, okay, yep. <laughs> just a game, um, man. <laughs> game. It's a game, but no, he is like, we're competitive, competitive and supportive. It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Supportive. <laughs> like if it's me against some other person or a team, like, yeah, he's, he's cheering me on. Yeah. Um, 
And my dad has always been supportive. I even did acting in middle school, which is like way different than anything I've ever done. Well, you're a civil engineer now, right? Spoiler alert for anyone listening. He is a civil engineer now, right? Okay. Yeah. So yeah, like kind of like a lot of like math, science, uh, hydrology, uh, a lot of, yeah, a lot of equations. Well, actually that's now what I'm going to title this podcast episode. It'll be from actor to civil engineer. (laughs) So it wasn't like any professional That's the real story. <laughs> it wasn't any like professional acting, but this is one thing that actually sparked something inside. Me. I don't know what it was, but it was like it, it it was finally a moment for me to be someone else, to be someone different. I liked being a character. And it started in sixth grade where I was in drama class and some of my best friends were in there. I'd made really good friends with this group and we took drama every single year. And I just started auditioning for like the lead role in the school play. I was like Romeo and Romeo and Juliet. I did this really funny monologue where I ended up going to this like district event where you got to compete. It was like a festival and judges got to grade you. And I got chosen to go to the the States. Um, I didn't end up going because I actually didn't have enough money and I never knew what could have happened, but I was a junior thespian. Um, wow yeah it was fun it was so you, um, were, you wasn't just like a couple classes you were in it <laughs> yeah I was kind of in that it was uh it was funny and because I was also playing baseball and some of my baseball buddies were like what are you doing like you're Romeo and Romeo and Juliet so it's it was funny but even my, even my dad was supportive he was like look if you want to be an actor like go do it sure that's awesome just, yeah I feel like that's important like here he is you know we've always played ball. We've always played baseball, basketball, played some football, uh, very, you know, sport driven. And then here you're seeing like acting, like, okay, the arts. I know that sometimes it's like a negative connotation with that for some reason. But I was a theater major in college, but I totally, everyone made fun of us. They were like, oh, yeah. theater, you guys are so weird over in the theater department. But exactly though. And that's, that's the thing is that like, I'm just, I'm glad to have a dad that even supported that. Like, even if I would have dropped sports, like he would have been supportive. And I think that's just so important for a kid, you know? And just I to feel like, like someone has a belief in you. Yeah. Just period. Like, I think that's so essential. People need to feel like people just believe in them. Mm-hmm. Even it's just, just one person. School. It's just middle school. Like, yeah. And it's just middle school. But, you know, coming from like your, the situation you came from, I could see how maybe a father would be like, you need to just do these, like, you know, progress in these very serious essential yeah. skills so you can get a good job. And, but for the, just yeah. the fact that he's like, you want to do it? Go pursue it. Funny. That's awesome. Funny enough. Like he was never that type where it was like, are you doing your homework or are you doing this? Make sure you're doing this. Mm-hmm. He always just had trust. Cause he saw it in me. Like once I started just handing him the report cards he was just like, all right, I don't even want to see it anymore. Like, okay, you're, he, he kind of just let me alone, like in a special way. Like he would of course check up on me, but he was just like, okay, you're doing these things. Like go after it. Yeah. Um, my brother, he was a little bit more like, oh my gosh, senior year. He called me every day, Aww. which is good. Oh, at, at the time I was like, what? <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, and, and in hindsight, it was it was nice. That's awesome. Okay, so you're in school. You're kicking ass. 
then you guys are in this rental at, at some point mm-hmm. or you evicted from yes. the rental. Yeah. So go through middle school, get all A's, never made a B, never missed a day of school, go through high school. I want to say I never missed a day. I could probably check the attendance, mm-hmm. uh, all A's. Um, and then senior year, I'm riding home with my girlfriend at the time. Um, I'm riding with her, her mom, and her brother. And they're taking me home. We pull up to the rocky driveway because I lived on a little dirt road. And we get up to the rental home, and there's a U-Haul out front. And they were like, you moving? And I was like, I don't think so. And I was like, just hold on here because something was odd. And I get out. And I see like a lot of our stuff packed up, like in the U-Haul, we got two random people moving like my belongings in in the Mm -hmm. U-Haul. And my dad comes out and he's just like, we just, we got behind. And um, my grandma, she went through a lot of her savings to help us. And she just, Mm -hmm. she just couldn't do it anymore. And we fell behind and he said, we're going to have to, we're gonna have to figure something out. Was he, he was not like, working at the time? He had lost his job because um, he couldn't do. He tried doing the Coach Factory. He tried working at Win Dixie. Um, it was just that barrier. It, it was. I think mental health had a lot to do with it. Mm-hmm. There was still this almost paranoia. There was still this. What was what was this paranoia of? Or about everything that we faced in Louisville with our family complications that were left in Louisville. Yeah. So was there like paranoia that you were you the kids are going to be taken away? Money, kids yeah. taken away. All that was just replaying in his mind. Yeah. And but that's that's so traumatic for somebody. You know, I, I could see traumatic. how that would be like a huge source of anxiety. To know what he's gone through, to what he's seen into what he's dealt with it's unreal it's 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 truly an unreal story that he has and people don't see that that's the invisible barrier of mental health and he felt like he just couldn't get a job he felt like he just couldn't maintain it and the u-haul's out front and he tells me like hey i I'll figure my place out. You know, I'll probably just go live. I'll probably go stay with this friend over here next door. And can you go and and see if you can stay with your girlfriend's family? And I was just like, Oh my gosh, that was the most embarrassing conversation I I probably had because. Cause you, cause they were waiting in the car. Like her parents were in the car. Her mom and her brother were in. I just remember like walking back and. I kind of like told, summed up my whole life story in a matter of like a couple minutes. So they understood like what was going on. And I had talked to her. I talked to my girlfriend about it, like just a little bit, but it's not something I truly opened up about until that moment. It's such a big part of your life. It is. It's not something that she's like, Hey, you know? Yeah. But yeah. But yeah, that would be a difficult conversation. But it did you, do you think you didn't talk about it much with her because there was still a lot of like shame and embarrassment that you were carrying. It was only mild. I, I remember telling her only just snippets, like not every detail, but just like, Hey, you know, I, I mean, she knew my mom 
had passed. And, I, you know, I just told her I, I had just a bad fortunate events back in Louisville and that was pretty much it. So it was kind of a shock to them and her mom. I mean, thank God, like she just felt compassion and she, she was like hopping, like mm. you're coming over, stay for as long as you want grab your clothes. Yeah. We're going to make this work. And, um, I ended up staying with, with them for a while. And then I, obviously it just, it felt right to move back, move in with, my my aunt and uncle um because my grandma lived with my aunt and uncle and Mm -hmm. it just made sense to move in with my my family but it had just happened so fast everything was just moving so fast and I needed a place to stay then and there and was this like the beginning of your senior year or was This 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 was about four months before graduation and. I'm filling out college applications. I'm doing essays. I'm still, I'm taking AP tests. I'm trying to finish strong. And here I am, you know, with the U-Haul parked out front and I don't know like where my dad's going to go. Like, what am I going to do? Am I going to stay too long? All that sort of like trauma that I had, like as like a child of, of going through, like what I went through kind of just was like circulating in my head, but I'm so thankful that her family kept me fed and they kept me positive. Like it almost felt like I, I just, I wasn't a nuisance at all. Like it was just like a normal thing. And and that's, I look back and I'm like, man, like, like that, that got me through it. That's amazing. How long had you dated her? Um, it's probably like a year and a half. Okay. So they had so. gotten to know you. Yeah, it was like a while. So they knew me pretty well. So it was like, it was an easy choice for them. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was very special. And I grew that relationship with them. And I, I mean, I think them to this day, it's like, they really helped. Yeah, that's amazing. Wow. So you, how does valedictorian work? How, how do you become valedictorian? Are you like nominated for it? educate me on what the process is like for that typically at least how my high school does it is it goes to the kid with the highest gpa and at the time um so ap classes advanced placement they actually hold a higher weight so during high school i always tried to overload with the ap classes which were actually harder they're harder classes they're more demanding there's more homework you have to take a test at the end of the year to gain college credit so they really matter And I ended up taking a lot of AP tests and AP classes and that held a significant weight. So my GPA ended up being like, like over 4.5. It was something crazy. And I remember people saying like, how do you get over a 4.0? What's that all about? I think I graduated college with a (laughs) 3.6. It's like, wait, how do you get a 4.5? Some people have like 5.0s, but that's because advanced placement holds a higher weighting. And so I, I literally, I just made... A's throughout all of, of school. And um, I remember the call like it was yesterday. So this was after the U-Haul incident where the guidance counselor like calls on the intercom in class and is like, can we see Griffin to the front? And I'm like, Oh gosh, like, like what now? You know, I never get called mm-hmm. to the guidance counselor's office. That's kind of weird. And right when I got in there, she looks at me and she's like, you're the man. And I was like, I have no idea what she's talking about. She says that I'm the man. 
but that's all she kept saying. And I'm like, okay. She was like, you're valedictorian of your class. Like, congratulations. Whoa. Yeah. And I was like, like a whole mix of emotions kind of was hitting me because here I am like, this is great. But also I'm thinking about my dad and I'm thinking about my brother and I'm thinking about my mom. And I'm just thinking about like my whole life mm-hmm. about like, wow. It, it was hard to understand that that was a special moment mm-hmm. until after, until I called my brother and just like, just talked to him about it. And um. He had told me back when I was in middle school that I could do it. And it's crazy to actually see that happen. Did people know at this time that you were like technically homeless? Well, I guess you were sleeping at, you were sleeping on your girlfriend's couch, right? Yeah. I was sleeping on my girlfriend's couch and no, no, I, I start, they started picking up that I was like being dropped off with her. So they're like, Ooh, like what's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, like we, that was just kept secret. Mm -hmm. So you are told you're valedictorian you give a speech. Does it kind of like, do you, do you tell about your story? You're in the speech. So I want to back up before the speech. So the crazy part is, so my brother's girlfriend at the time was a news producer for the local station. She was like, Griffin, you were just named valedictorian. And right now you're homeless. That's a headline. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Like, no, I'm I'm not doing that. Mm -hmm that's embarrassing and I don't want anyone to know and she was like are you sure and she was just very persistent and finally I was just like okay it probably took like weeks she just kept pressing me and at first I was like okay because she said maybe it'll help scholarships maybe it'll help with getting into the college of your dreams or whatever she's she's very persistent so I was like okay so she sent a camera guy over to my school, like right after school. So this camera guy shows up in the local news van and all my friends are like, what the heck is going on here? Like, Wow. You're like a celebrity now. What's going on? I was like, I don't know what's going on. I couldn't tell them because it was embarrassing. Only a few best friends, only a few best friends knew my entire life story, but not the nitty gritty details, just base level. Yeah. I was homeless for a while but not everyone, like maybe less than like five people. Um, so we shot a couple shots. He was like, do you want to go up and talk to a teacher? I was like, heck no. <laughs> but he was persistent too. So he pushed me. He was like, I'm not leaving until we go talk to one of your teachers. I'm like, okay, gosh. So we go this to- a, like a lot. This obviously wasn't a live interview. No, it was not a live interview. They were just taping. They were just filming. And um, thank God it wasn't live. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it was so embarrassing. So we're like, well, let's go to a teacher. Let's go to one of the teacher's classrooms. I'm like, okay. So we pick out like one or two teachers. I'm like, hey. And they're just confused as all heck. Like, what's going on with the camera in their face? Like, do you want to do you want to film? Do you want to be interviewed? And she's like, about what? It's like, oh, by the way, like, I'm homeless, and I was just named valedictorian, so, like, how do you feel about it? And they're just, look, the looks on their faces. Because they didn't know, right? They they had no idea. They had no idea. And they just started crying. Like, Mm. I just didn't know, like, what, like, what is going on? And 
we just we ended up filming the interviews and it started off like the first day or two was just it was picking up like local coverage and I had a few friends ask and I was embarrassed as all heck at school and yeah I was like yep I'm sharing my story and I was just kind of quiet about it and then I, I one day I woke up my my grandma stormed through the room because uh, I was at my aunt and uncle's she stormed through the room at like 5 a.m like Griffin Griffin like someone's on the phone like I think you should answer it like I think you should talk to them and I'm like what what like I was just studying for AP tests and I was tired as 5 a.m. I'm like, come on. And I'm like, okay. So I answer it. And I'm just like, hello. And it's like, good morning. Like we're from good morning, America. What? I'm like, Whoa. What? Like the TV show. Are you like and 17? Like, you're 17 years old, 18 years old. About like 17 or eight. Yeah. Probably 18 years old. Yeah. I had just turned 18 years old and she was like, you should go turn on the TV if you have a TV. And I was like, okay. And I turn on the TV and literally I'm, my face is on the TV. Like I'm going viral as we what? speak. And she was like, yeah, you should also go check anything else. Cause you are just everywhere right now. And we want to fly you up to New York to, to go on our show. The story behind the GoFundMe is my my girl my girlfriend at the time her her mom's friend wanted to set it up and this was actually even before the news story this was like when i went homeless when i saw the u-haul she was like oh my god she felt devastated and she was like let me do something for you and at first i didn't want the gofundme either i told her no a couple times just because i've asked for things my whole life yeah like that's the last thing I wanted to ask for was money from people Mm -hmm. to go to college like I felt I just felt even more embarrassed and I didn't want to act like I was begging people and I was like I I told her sure um but as long as you create it and it can kind of be like your thing and you can just like let me know about it yeah you didn't want to feel like you were begging yeah, I didn't want to feel like it it was my idea and like that I created it and it wasn't. It, it was her idea and oh my god, like it had to be one of the best ideas ever. <laughs> you got quite a bit out of it, right? Got quite a bit and it's it's crazy. It, it and it even be, goes beyond like how it helped me in college. Like I was able to help my dad. I was able to help my brother too because you know, he didn't get what I got. He didn't get a full ride mm-hmm. scholarship. He was, he had a lot of loans coming out of college and I, I helped him start his career. You know, I helped him kind of get on his feet with, um, you know, a car and, and rent. Like he needed that to start his career and, and all the rest, all the rest just went to education. And then He's luckily he's a financial advisor. So we just put it away. Don't even touch it. Don't even look at it. And, but it it truly helped. It went beyond college. It it helped my whole family. It kind of like gave us this. It was like one of the, one of the best things that could ever happen. And 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 I I bet. So did the, so did you have people contributing to the GoFundMe, the pre good morning America? Yeah. Or was it that particular? It was unreal just how it caught fire. I would say it caught fire because 
it started off. The goal was just to get like 500 bucks. She wanted to get 500 bucks from me to like pay for books. Mm. So we set the goal at 500. And then once it went viral, it just went nuts. It feel like every day was just going up by thousands. It was like, I would get an alert because I just got a new smartphone. I would be like a new email, 10 grand, a new email, 20 grand, a new email, 50 grand. Someone donated oh, like, my goodness. someone donated like $10,000. And I made sure that I gathered every single name. And I wrote a lot of people letters because to give that much away, I mean, that's just, that's unreal. And it was life-changing. It was true. So what did it get up to? I think it got up to as high. I don't know the exact number, but it was like 100 or 110, some somewhere between that. Holy cow. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. It truly is amazing. And it, it's, you know, like I said, it went way beyond just my education. I, I was able to feel comfortable. It was the first time where I felt comfortable, mm-hmm. where I got to help my brother. I got to help my dad put the rest of way. Now let's focus on college. Like, Did you get a car? I ended up getting a car. I took a humble route. I didn't just buy a car. I I, I worked my way in college. I didn't end up getting a car until college. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a few internships and I saved up money on my own to buy a little Betty White, I call her. Uh, she's like a little 2002 Toyota Camry. So Nice. Uh, yeah, I didn't didn't even want a new car. I rolled it right off the lot, like five grand, like nothing special. Like that's Well, all you I know, millionaire to. next door, don't they say they... Um... I like love the average, <laughs> the average millionaire drives like an F one fifty Ford. I have that book home. right. I have that book staring at me right here. If <laughs> if anyone were to ever read a book about money, that's the book. That's all you need to know. I love that book because little do people know what millionaires are. Growing up as a poor kid, I'm thinking millionaires. Like I thought. Looking back, I thought kids living in normal neighborhoods were like millionaires. I thought people that had like a normal car were just like rich. But in reality, the millionaires around you are just people who work really hard and that and they manage their money correctly. They know to invest their money, not just let it sit in cash and actually lose value. They actually put their money into funds, into stocks, into investments, into their own business into real estate, there's all these things that can grow your money. And as long as you keep saving away piece by piece, it's a long-term game. Completely changed my mind about just everything that I knew about what a millionaire was and about money in general. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's changed my life and it's changed my brother's life too. He's actually a financial advisor. So, See, that's amazing because, okay, so you hear about people who win the lottery and they're people who are just not trained with finances. They're not I'm I'm sure there's a whole array of people, but in your case, I feel like you are studying, um, like you're studying just, I mean, you do, you read self-help books, you have a brother who's a financial advisor, but you hear about people who win the lottery, who like blow their money almost instantly. Yeah. And so in your case, I feel like you kind of took the smart route where I think it might've been easy to say, oh, I finally have money. Let's go wild. Let's go crazy. I've been wanting to do this forever, but you kind of have a little more of like a, like a logical, humble approach to it. Yeah. Can't say that I never bought any nice things. Now, were they expensive? No, but yeah, I bought a PlayStation because I never like Going to the homeless shelter, I was on a PlayStation in the homeless shelter. Yeah, I bought a PlayStation. Yeah, I bought a fresh pair of shoes because 
I wanted some new shoes. But as far as all the other money, it's just, it's sitting, it's growing. And I don't even try not to look at it. Sounds like you really splurge that you sound really irresponsible with that PlayStation and brand new shoes. Yeah. (laughs) They were even good deals too. Like I really splurged. (laughs) You got on clearance at Ross, you know, just, you went crazy. (laughs) I love Ross. I love Marshall's too. Plato's closet's good. I'm, I'm cheap. I, I, and, and see, that's my perspective growing up the brand names, half the nice stuff that I have are just gifts. Like yeah. I don't even ask for things. Um, they just kind of show up as gifts and I'm like, okay, but nice. labels, I don't like labels. I don't like expensive things. Cause those aren't things that are valuable to me. I think what's most valuable is honestly, it's, it's so cliche, but just love like family, love relationships, the present moment time, time is the most valuable thing that you ever have. So yeah, my, my whole perspective has been altered because of my childhood and, and how I live my life even today as an adult. Mm-hmm. So you went on to college, you've had housing, secure housing, I'm assuming in college, or did you go do the dorm, dorm life? I was so fortunate that I didn't have to live in a dorm, which, you know, part of me, do I regret anything? No, but there's like a dorm life that I feel like you struggle through in college. And I, yeah. I honestly said I didn't have that. I was you struggled fortunate. enough. Okay. You struggled yeah, enough. I was like, yeah, struggling enough. Like my, it was you already actually, lived in a dorm, AKA a homeless shelter. You lived, your roommate was a six month old baby. Yeah. So I was, in, I was in the dorm life for a while. So like it was finally time for an upgrade, but uh, I was fortunate to, to get an apartment. Um, and I feel like that really helped too, because I, I was able to focus. A lot of times I would just lock myself in my room, focus on my studies, get what I needed to do. And then enjoy what I had. So that's amazing. So you graduated magna cum laude, magna cum laude. (laughs) Is that how we're saying it? (laughs) Yeah. Magna cum laude, laude, laude. Yeah. (laughs) I had the, had the chords, had the medallion. um, And it was nice. It was, it was something, it was definitely a goal because, and I'll, I will be honest with you. So in high school, in high school, I was told, and just, you know, things that parents say, and even sometimes like family and just other people would be oh, like, you're going to go to that school. It was always like, oh, you're going to go to that high school. And I didn't go to like the best high school in Jacksonville. There were other like very good high schools. I didn't go to an Ivy League school. People would say, you're the valedictorian. You're going to like the party school with like the football yeah. team and stuff. And, you know, that kind of just, it stuck with me. And I, I truly just wanted to kind of just prove to myself, not to anyone, just kind of to myself that it never mattered like what school you went to. You can go to community college, technical college. You can go online every day on YouTube and learn something. I thought the most important thing was just pure education and learning something. Why? Yes. you have to learn how to do something i think students or even anyone realizes that don't let any type of school like like downgrade what education or learning means like it does not matter i could not i could not agree more we're like like-minded sort i mean sort of you're much much smarter and, uh, and have much more determination than i do but i will agree with that 
<laughs> Absolutely. And honestly, there's so, okay. Cause I, I do feel like college, some colleges are set up as a business and yeah. there's a lot that you can learn on YouTube. I'm not yeah. saying forego a degree, but you can learn so much just like, just on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> on TikTok. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know how to write a book. So what did I do? I bought a book for like $5 that taught me how to write a book. I hopped on YouTube. I listened to authors. I met more authors. There's resources out there. And I didn't, I didn't know how to build a website. I built a website. How did I do it? I was curious. You got a degree in website building? Yeah, I got a degree oh. in, in website. Yeah, programming. Yeah, you name it. No, you don't need that stuff. You, you just yeah. need your choice to actually wake up and want to do these things. I think people get really nervous because they're like, I don't know how to do it. I think that's just like a way of saying, like, I don't want to do it. Because if you don't know how to do it, go after it. Like if you're trying to write that book, if you're trying to, if you're trying to have this goal in mind, like go after it, go learn it. You will figure it out. Even just with podcasting. Like I told my husband, I'm like, I want to go, I want to buy this course. You know, it's like 500 bucks, learn how to, you know, how to properly podcast. He's like, or you could go on YouTube, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually, that's probably true. <laughs> I looked up a few YouTube things, how to use Zoom, you know, it's, but there's so much information out there just at our fingertips. That's free. It should, it shouldn't, money should never, the lack of money should never prevent somebody from learning. You're the perfect example of that. You, I mean, and you're case is so extreme, but you figured out a way to still make it happen. And here's the thing. You'll have some people that go, oh, well, you had a full ride in this GoFundMe. That's true. The thing about education, school is very expensive. It is. And it, it just keeps rising. It just seems to ever rise. Um, there's a lot of research out there and I can recommend some books. I have a whole bunch of books over here. I wish you could see them, but uh, it's the new geography of jobs. Um, it just, it goes into how education is the best investment that you can ever make in terms of health, wellness, money, career, family, your spouse, even college, or even some sort of higher education. And again, it doesn't matter what college, some sort of higher education will create a better future for you. And there's research backed by it. And even though the debt that we take in loans, if we shift our perspective to start thinking that it's more like an investment in ourselves, I think that's when we can start making a shift. And now this isn't me, like, trust me, I, I, this isn't me saying like, like a hundred thousand dollars in debt is just like a grand old time. Like, no, that that's terrible. Um, but what I am saying is that the investment, at least in some sort of education, skill, learning, you name it, you can do whatever you want to do. It starts with the choice. Dang, you are just dropping some truth tonight. You you mentioned mentors, and it sounds like your brother was one for you. Was your dad, was he like encouraging? It sounds like he was very encouraging. Yeah, he was my number one fan. And my brother, he was more of like, I think he was more hard on me in a good way, like mm -hmm. staying on top of me. Whereas my dad was like the good cop, like, yeah, you're doing great, sweetie. Like you, everything's good. You um, need that balance. Good cop, bad cop. You do. You really do. 
And I think were, teachers, teachers were, yeah, te- I think teachers were, were big mentors because I'm honestly a teacher at heart. Uh, anything that I learn, I just, I try to teach someone else, whether it's like financial advice. I'm really passionate about finances and um, I'm really passionate about just learning like every single day. I want to learn something, whether it's like I talked to you about my website that I'm trying to build something fancy, but I didn't know how to do it. But there's these little things that I'm always curious and I want to give it to the world because I feel like I want to inspire people. Like if you, if you do want something, you can create it. You just have to attack it. You have to want it. I love that you're staying curious and that you just keep learning. I think that's so crucial, Mm -hmm. such a crucial part of just being happy. Yeah. What sounds better? Okay. Wake up, scroll on my phone. Okay. Go make some coffee, drink some coffee. Okay. Go to work. Okay. Read some emails. Go home, scroll, 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 Netflix. I might have a, an occasional laugh and then I go to bed. Honestly, you're describing the perfect day. <laughs> Just <laughs> are my kids there? Hold on. The question is, are my kids in That's any part of this? <laughs> versus, versus something where you know, you know, you have something deep down inside. You, everyone has a dream. Even if, even if I feel like you're a parent, you always have like this, this dream or this want, like, oh man, what, like, what if I did that? Or, or what if I could do this? What if I got an extra few followers? What if I got this following? What if I did this? Like, you know, you're doing this podcast too. And it's like, you must have some sort of. Oh, totally. Oh, totally. I'm totally busting your chops. But yeah, I will yeah. say if I, so my husband and I both work from home and sometimes it's like hard to find that balance because he was like working full time, 60 hours a week. Now he's at home all the time. And I was like full time mom. I did like the Instagram stuff on the side. Now I have like this opportunity where I have time finally, where I have that help where I can go hard with some of my stuff. But I will say if I go a few days without feeling like I've been productive in that or have made some kind of progress to my goal, I get mopey. I get depressed. I get unpleasant. And that's all part of it. Yeah. And I think, and look, we have different perspectives. You're in a whole different stage. I don't have like little rugrats running around that I have to feed. So different stages. However, I think the mindset holds true and the perspective holds true is that when you set out this, like this, this game plan, and when you have that support, it's all about this game plan that you can create. And I know your time might be a little bit more like limited mm-hmm. parents times might be a little bit more limited, but I think even just like writing out and creating something like that's live and right in front of you, even if you don't hit on that game plan, it should make you feel bad. And I've gone through that too. I don't, I don't wake up every single day at 5am and just, oh, just get stuff done. I have, I had stretches writing this book where like, I almost quit. I, I was like, no one's going to read it. Who cares? Like, who am I? Mm-hmm. I read a chapter. 
I've like erased chapters, which you should never do, by the way. Because you like did changed your mind. And then you're like, wait, no, change, actually, that wasn't really you good. Your mind. Writing a book, you'll learn a lot about yourself. And, um, you know, I had this like, like, I probably didn't write for a whole month. And what got me back to it was I did feel that that way. I did feel bad about it. That's good. It's good that I feel bad. What am I going to do about it? Well, I'm going to use that bad. And I'm going to just try to knock one little thing out. I call it like eating the elephant, just one bite at a time. People think that they got to wake up and be superhero five, five AM, seven AM. I got to be doing all this. Just one little bite away. If you have a goal, you can do it. Just do something towards it every day. Mm-hmm. You feel way better. You feel way better. Cause... You do. And, and the days, like I, I do love my, my Netflix time, but I will say it, it's too much. Like there has to be balance with me. Balance. Yeah. I, I have to have balance. Everybody's different, but I, I actually do think that is a core part of people, just nature. Mm-hmm. We need to be like, fighting for something or striving for something or like slaying dragons. Like we just need to just be, feel like we're winning and everybody's winning looks different. It does. It It looks totally different. And yeah, I have noticed that if I've gone a few days where it's like just too much kids, (laughs) too much of my kids. And there's been like, whatever, like my husband's working on a project or whatever. And there's been that balance has been kind of tipped. I love my kids. I love spend, yeah. there's balance in that too, where I feel like I am like freaking failing at parenting if I'm not having like the connection that I want with my kids. So there's also that as mm-hmm. well. But yeah, if the balance is tipped, I do, I get a little mopey and whiny. And then I have to think, why do I feel this way? Oh, it's because I feel like these promises I made myself and these goals that I have, I haven't been working towards them. Even if it's just like a tiny bit, like I need just, even just a tiny bit. Will like immediately like release that like pressure. Yeah, and you and you think about this positives too. Like, okay, maybe I wasn't like accomplishing my goals, but was I being an awesome mom? Heck yeah! Like, start thinking about those positives, and that's I think that's what gets me back on that track because I can sit here and be Mister Positive and stuff, and and tell people, yeah, everything's just fine and dandy. Like, no, there are many low points that everyone that everyone faces, and I think you hit the nail on the head when you said balance. That's that's my other favorite word I always tell my girlfriend like yep we always have to have a balance with anything mm-hmm. everything that we do can't let our highs be too high lows be too low we just you know at least we have tomorrow now maybe we didn't accomplish everything today but we have tomorrow and you know it's never promised though it makes you think but yeah. this book is gonna be great I'm so excited to read it I once it's out you need to tell me I will share it like crazy oh I yeah. have okay so I have a good one do you have any triggers from just the way you were brought up? Like they can be good. They can be bad, but just things that just, I don't know, bring you kind of back to that, the days in the homeless shelter or like, or habits that you might have because maybe you felt like, okay, this place is dirty. I needed like stay really clean as an adult. Like I need to make sure I just feel clean or do you have any like obsessions or anything like that? Yeah. So I I think, um, I think what I struggled with a lot during the start of my career was, was just money and even being like a civil engineer, like still making a good living, but 
when I would have negative months and I'm really good about my finances. Like I'm, I know exactly what I spent on everything and my cash flow. I know if I'm negative positive. Can you come out with a finance book and teach me? Cause you know, I'm just an influencer. I'm horrible. With finances. I've been wanting to team up with my brother. I feel like it'd be a really cool book because it's not just like, this is what you do. It'd be like our perspective about it. I feel like we can make something. Cool. And coming from a place of homelessness where yeah. you have a, probably a very different relationship with money. I'm reading right, the book. book I'm right, applying book, uh, it to my whole life. <laughs> book two. Book two. Um, um, but yeah, so when I would have like negative cash flow months, I would become a different person. I would go back to, I would be like, oh, I'm poor. Or like, it'd be a trigger of like, oh, I can't do anything. I just have to stay in. And some, I've been getting better with that. Um, but yeah, that is one thing that triggers sometimes money. I do have to take that step back and be like, Hey, everything's fine right now. But I think what triggers me is knowing that your whole life could just take a twist like that. Cause it happened to me before. So yeah. like sometimes it's still like in the back of my, of my mind. Yeah. And yeah. you're setting a life up. So that's not going to happen to you. Yeah. And that's why I work just really hard and, save and work with my brother and I'm getting there. I think I've gotten way better over the last couple of years, but it was a big struggle at first. Yeah. Um any other obsessions? I I don't I don't think so. I don't yeah. I don't <laughs> mainly that. It's like it's usually money. Um sometimes my introvert comes out where I'm when I meet like a big group of people and all eyes are on me, sometimes I like sink into my seat because I'm, um, I don't know what it is. When I was like little, I just, a lot of people would, would be too much because I was always just very observant. So mm-hmm. when people think that I'm quiet, they think that something's wrong. But we're in reality, I'm just like observing every little thing that's going on yeah. and just trying to gauge the situation because I never liked talking about myself. I was always embarrassed to talk about myself. So even in some social settings, I'll like try to refrain. Do you think you're embarrassed to talk about yourself? That comes from just the situation you were in or do that's just who you are? You're humble. I don't really like talking about myself. I like asking other people questions. Yeah. Hey, start a podcast. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I have so many dreams I'm going to write down for you. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, TikTok. I'll tell you what to do. Yeah, we need to make like a viral TikTok. That'd be cool. Yeah, you should. Well, one with all your books that you like. True. I'll send you some sounds. I'm gonna just send you sounds. I love doing that where I'm like, oh, this would I'm never gonna do this video because I'm lazy, but this would really work really well for so and so's account. I love people sending people, I love sending sounds to people. I'll send you some. <laughs> okay. Um, so do you think, what misconceptions do you think people have about homelessness that you would like to clear up? So I think homeless people, not all of us are lazy. I was a homeless kid at one time and, you know, I, w- I would hear some of what the parents thought of what other students thought is that, Homeless people are lazy. They have no drive. Uh, they just, they steal from the government. Um, but once you actually like go through homelessness and you sleep in the bunk 
that I slept on. You take showers in the moldy shower that I took showers in. You didn't have mirrors. When you go through all of those just crazy events where, where you're almost thinking that you're going to sleep on a park bench, you develop this appreciation of, of, of what's around you. And I think the misconceptions that people have, I think, I think there's a large chunk of people that, that almost need to stop and, and reflect and appreciate, appreciate the things that they have around them. Um, and I think sharing my story helps because how can we even grow our perspective? We can only grow our perspective if we share our own stories. So, and that's, that's the whole goal of this. And that's, that's why I'm here sharing okay. it with you. And, um, and yeah, that's, that's everyone. The- everyone comes from a different story. It helps give you empathy when you realize that, that like just casting judgments, just like one word labels, you know, it, it doesn't help with empathy. And like our world needs more empathy. We don't need just, and you, and we've seen it in 2020 was such an example on both sides of the aisle. People who just got nasty, Mm -hmm. just got these like super, just like nuanced situations and just casted like just horrible judgment, both sides. And it's just, when you hear the actual story about the actual person, it allows us to have that, to develop empathy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like food stamps too. Like, like again, going back to government aid, that was just a very popular one. Like, like, Oh, stealing from the government or mooching. You're a moocher. So I'm a moocher. And then I'm also lazy and I'm this and I'm that and I'm this. Obviously I was going to say that. I don't want to make it weird, but clearly very lazy. Clearly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was very lazy. I mooched all the time. Um, and yeah, I kind of just soaked that all in and I, I just, I did not let that define me though. I, cause yeah. I knew I wasn't, I, I knew I wasn't lazy. I knew I wasn't a mooch. I was just doing what I had to do in order to survive. Like once people go through that survival mode, they'll never know. And again, that's why I'm sharing my story. And that's, you know, that is definitely like things I've heard through the years and that mentality of just like, oh, they're just lazy. Oh, they're just on drugs or they just, when, no, actually every single homeless person has their own story. We don't know what that person's going through. Mm-hmm. You can't just cast that one label. Well, okay. Well, you mentioned after school programs. I, so I was a substitute teacher for like several years and there were, and I was a long-term sub. So I got to be in a lot of um, title one poor schools yeah. and they had, all of them had after school programs. Yeah. And you said that was, a, that made a difference for you? Yeah, a really strong difference because, you know, it, most of the kids that were poor or homeless, they would get into trouble. And especially though, especially, this is more coming from my brother, especially like the high schoolers and the middle schoolers, those would be the bigger group that would get into trouble um, if they were just just not doing the right thing, if they were defeated, if they were allowing that situation, you know, it wasn't everyone, but if they were allowing that situation to kind of join these other groups and go after school and go do something maybe that they shouldn't have been doing. Um, I was influenced to go, I was influenced to, to go hop in on those events at one point. I remember I got almost, I don't know. We'll probably edit this out, but uh, well, if you want me to, I will, but let's hear it. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. So I remember like we were hanging out with some friends and they wanted, they they found this, like 
this like tractor uh, that was just chilling out on a piece of land and it had windows. And look, I don't know what was going to everyone's mind, but one person thought, oh, it'd be really cool to like throw rocks at that tractor. Like, that's cool. And then also keep in mind, like, we're also probably um, just skipping school. There's a lot of times that. How old were you? Are we past the statute of limitations? (laughs) Okay. So I was, I was little, but I hung around with some of my brother's friends who were in like that high school time. And Mm -hmm. I saw some of the influences early on of like what could happen. I was just like the little brother, like following. Uh, I wasn't skipping school. This was like after school. Okay. Very important. Yeah. Yeah. I was just following because there was nothing else to do. And so a lot of the other kids like picked up the rocks and they started throwing out the tractor and breaking the windows. And like, that's illegal, like disrupting property. Like. Mm -hmm. The call the cops were called. We scrambled away. Like there were moments. And that, that's just like one example. But just in general, this whole thing of like, what can students do after school? That's what some students do. Yeah. Some might, you know, like party, some might drink, some might just get into the wrong crowd. Yeah. It, it happens and we've seen it. Because well, your other there. option was what, going back to the homeless shelter and hanging out until yeah. yeah, let's go back. Let's go back to the homeless shelter. Fun. Let's go hang with the rats. Um, yeah. So you kind of tried to basically stay away until what dinner time or yeah. Time? So the after school programs really help because not only did we get snacks, we got fed, we got another meal, but just the teachers there, they just they they showed a lot of compassion and there were just activities to keep our mind occupied, activities that would keep us from doing other bad things that we could potentially be doing. Like, I mean, just drawing, like, okay, like drawing. Yeah. Like doing math problems, working on our homework, finishing our homework. So we don't have to do our homework at the shelter where we don't have a desk, where we don't have like very good lighting, where I don't even want to do homework because there was a mess. It was a mess there. Yeah. So it truly did make a difference. That's wow. You're opening my eyes to some of these programs where I'm like, yeah, that's necessary. I didn't look at, at it through the eyes, the lens of, I always thought, oh, it's just kind of like babysitting while the parents are working, but it's so much more than that. Yeah. It, it's keeping our minds occupied. It, it's, it's giving us an opportunity to, to, to finish work, to, to maybe develop a relationship with the teacher. Um, you know, we could be doing something else. We could be doing something non-productive or negative or hanging out with some of the wrong students, but yeah, it ended up helping a lot. You mentioned the little things um, that made all the difference that maybe we don't realize make a difference in these kids' lives. What were some of them for you? I think just, just showing that I wasn't invisible, just actually like showing some sort of compassion or empathy or just that helping hand, just the thought of me, like just really help, like, oh, like he could use some help. And even though I was embarrassed and didn't always accept the helping hand, I think the real genuine people were persistent enough to understand like what I was going through and just the little things, like even just saying something nice, even just the words that are said, the tone, you know, rides to school, have using people's computers, people's internet, it is. It makes all the difference in the world, and I know that some. Those are things that people have at their disposal. They get the newest laptop. They get the newest car, and but we don't stop to realize like there's not a lot of people that have those things, and 
I always dreamed about having those. And I, I think, you know, extending that helping hand, all those people that, that helped me along the way, it, it truly makes a difference. And I appreciate every single moment that that happened. So where are you now in life? What's, what does your life look like now? What do you see for your future? So I'm an everyday engineer, uh, civil engineer. So I specialize in land development, which people are like, what the heck is that? I basically develop land to be ready for someone to build something on. So anything that goes vertical, uh, I, I prepare that land so you can go vertical with a building. In this case, I do a lot of like residential neighborhoods, like really large scale residential neighborhoods. So in order to even create those, you got to do stormwater modeling. You got to design all the water pipes, the sanitary. Everyone needs water, right? Everyone needs to go to the bathroom. So think of like what I do as I make, I make everything work for you to do all of your business. So that's kind of, and so your house doesn't flood. Yeah. As far as like what I do outside of that, like 50 plus hour work week, um, I'm still, you know, touching up my book. Um, and I hope to write more books in the future. Uh, I want to write like a financial book for like young adults or even just adults in general, because some adults, you know, don't know how to really manage their own money. I'd love to do that. Team up with my brother. Um, I hope to team up with my brother on, on a business venture. Don't really have anything in mind yet, but I know I've always wanted to work with them. Mm. Um, I also want to, so once I finally start releasing more books, I want to create a scholarship fund. I'm actually in the process of it now. Um, but my whole goal is to fund uh, one one student every single year um, is to fund their full tuition ride to college. So that's that's wow. my big goal. And that's what I'm working towards. Um, it's going to happen. That's amazing. That's yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. I'm always working towards my dad. Um, he doesn't, he doesn't necessarily know this, but I just, I always work in hopes of someday, like I can make something happen. That's big enough to just take care of him because yeah. he still struggles. He doesn't even have a car still. He lives with my brother. He still works just a minimum wage job. He's bounced around from working at gas stations to a bowling alley. And I just, I want all the help I can for him, but there's only like so much that I can do. And I work every day with him in mind. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I want him to retire in peace. And I just, that's what I work for every day. Ugh, um, that's such, wouldn't that be amazing? I, it is going to happen. Cause I mean, just with your ambition and everything you're doing that, that's uh, yeah, that that's like one of my dreams. I would love to like, I don't know, like pay off a house or pay off, you know, for yeah. like somebody that I love and that'd be, yeah. that would be the ultimate gift. Uh, I am excited for the future. I'm excited for the book. I think it'll inspire a lot of people and I'll make a bold claim. I feel like if a middle schooler, middle schoolers don't really read nowadays, high schoolers don't really, read. but if you read this book, if you're a student and you read this book, I think your whole perspective of, of education and learning will change forever. And I, I think, I think it's something that you should pick up. Um, and even teachers too, to share that message to the students. Yeah. Cause I think that message, it's not about me. It's about the message that's out there. Perspective, mindset, and caring. It's, it'll go a long way. Well, you need to make it an audio, an audible yeah. book, because yeah. that's how people consume these days. Yeah. At least that's I'll how moms do. That's how I do. TikTok book or something. Can I do that? Make a million. No, that's Segment? Probably- <laughs> yeah, just like 60 second uh, audio clips from your book. 
Yeah. Sure, of course you can. That's it. Yeah, of course you can. Grab the I have loved talking to you. Your story is incredible. Yeah. Thanks so awesome, much huh? for talking to me. Um, yeah. I really uh, well, go ahead and like plug all the things you're doing right now. Or all your handles, things. sorry. Plug all your handles. handles. So Instagram handle is griffin.furlong, so relatively easy. Uh, my name, Twitter is at underscore gfur, G-F-U-R. Um, TikTok, so I'm actually going on, so I'm going by Homeless Valedictorian. Uh, so you can follow me on TikTok. Also, Facebook's a good place to reach out to me. I don't post very much on Facebook, but that's an easy way to find me. Um and also, if you're in Tampa, I don't know. I'm here in Tampa. Uh, come hang out. Come hang yeah, out. Come hang in out. Tampa. Sure. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks so much for talking. This has been great. I'll put all the all your info in the show notes too. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening. Please like, subscribe, comment, rate, do the things you know you got to do to help a sister out. I really appreciate it. Love you guys.